When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, checkout's not until four, so. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Discover BetMGM, the betting app sports fans in the Capital Region turn to for nonstop action all winter long. Take the excitement of football, basketball, and hockey to the next level with same-game parlays, exclusive signature bets, odds boost promos, and much more. Plus, now you can sign in, place bets, and manage your cash balance under the same BetMGM account in D.C., Maryland, and Virginia. With the same username and password throughout the DMV, it's never been easier to play with the king of sportsbooks. Download the BetMGM app today. BetMGM is an authorized gaming partner of the NBA and an official sports betting partner of the NHL. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly and offer resources to help you make appropriate choices. Please gamble responsibly. BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Washington, D.C. only. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. This is Holly Fry from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV, like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander. With seating for up to eight passengers and available panoramic moonroof, you can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with the whole family. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota. Let's go places. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. You're listening to Fox Sports Radio. Radio. Ah, it's Fox Sports Radio, Chris Mannix, Yahoo Sports, Bucky Brooks, NFL Network. We are coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit Geico.com. For a free rate quote today. Bucky, good to see you, man. Good to be in L.A. here with you, in studio with somebody for the first time in a long time. Uh, no, this is really, really cool. I'm really excited to do this. Uh, you're kind of a man of many, many talents. No, nah, it's, it's a, like a what, bas- what, basketball, boxing. You yeah, got, but what, you got what, what do they say? Like, you know, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. What was that phrase? I'm, I'm oh, yeah, I mean, that's it, but like, I know that's not true in your case. <laughs> yeah, master of absolutely none. <laughs> we got a basketball guy and a football guy here, but I'm guessing we're going to talk more uh, football this week. NFL training camps wide open right now. Nothing beats the optimism, by the way, of NFL training. Everybody thinks everybody has a chance. Oh yeah, we are we all are ready. Everyone looks great. You haven't heard anybody say that the oh, team yeah. sucks. Everyone is good. We all excited about our draft picks and yeah. the quarterbacks look great. So. Andrew Luck's shoulder completely healthy, ready to roll. Oh, he's ready everybody. to go. Look, everybody's yeah. ripping it. All the beat uh, writers are there talking about how great he looks. So we'll- Aaron Rodgers, no contract issues. <laughs> we'll get it done. Nothing <laughs> seems to be a, a problem anywhere in the NFL, except of course. In New England, and I got to start with this because I'm from Boston, and, and I have I have grown up effectively over the last 20 years with the Patriots and watching Bill Belichick and Tom mm-hmm. Brady do their thing 
and become, you know, arguably, maybe inarguably, the greatest quarterback coach duo uh, in NFL history. And yet, the last couple weeks, or really this last week in particular, Bucky, they, they just keep pissing me off because <laughs> it, for some reason, they don't feel like they're beholden to answer any question that is difficult for them oh, to answer. Yeah. That that just is what bothers me. That's what bothers me. It's kind of the Popovich thing. It's it's, it's the Popovich thing. It's like, a little bit of that, but I'll tell you this about Popovich. And I don't know Belichick well enough to say if he does this, but Popovich, if you get him off the press conference and away from the podium uh, and off the cameras, he gives you articulate answers. Like he'll he won't always get in depth stuff. He's certainly not going to tell you, um, you know, chapter and verse about what's going on. But he is a much more articulate guy away from those press conferences. I, I, think, I don't know if Belichick is. I, th- but, I think the same. When you talk to okay. people that know him really well, he uh, is a football historian. He doesn't mind telling and sharing but it's something about when you pop a mic in front of his face he kind of clams up he won't give you anything and that's kind of that old school mentality where they don't share they don't bring the fans in and make them inclusive they kind of keep everything uh kind of with the team yeah Uh, but but i think here's the thing with belichick and even with popovich you can do that when you're kind of lording over the league you're winning all the time and everything kind of goes your way when you start to lose and you lose in big moments you begin to kind of see the cracks. And what we're seeing in New England, the cracks in the foundation, that Super Bowl loss has kind of been devastating, not because they've lost, because they've lost in Super Bowls before, mm-hmm. but because they had a situation with Malcolm Butler. Malcolm Butler is a Pro Bowl caliber player, a guy who's been their number one corner for the last two or three years. To not play him a single defensive snap, there were a lot of questions. And because Bill Belichick and everybody on the inside refused to address it, it's just kind of it's a mystery, and the story gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And so there's a level of distrust not only in the building, but I would think outside the building on Bill Belichick, despite his genius and despite all the accolades and the wins that he's accumulated during his time. He refused to address it um, after the season ended. He refused to address it, address it off-season press conferences. And here's Belichick um, at this first press conference of the season addressing it with Boston Globe reporter Dan Shaughnessy. Bill, I know you're all about this year, and we all understand that this year. That's right. And um, I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't ask about last year. Yeah, and last year is last year. I'm not focused on last year. Yeah. What about the fact that everywhere we go, folks want to ask about Malcolm Butler? I mean, sports coaches, players, university. You're a sports fan. Yeah, we've is talked it, about that. That's multiple months ago. Is there going to be any more explanation about why he didn't play? focused on training camp would you do it any differently training camp well we're, no. just, we're getting started we're working on that right now we'll do it the best we can and does it matter to you do you care that the fans want to know more about this i'm focused on doing the best that i can for the 2018 new england patriots that's my job that's what i'm going to do that's what i've always done in the past you know every day that i've coached here I've done the best that I could for this football team, and I'll continue to do that. And right now my focus is on the 2018 season, not 2017, not 2014, not 2007, not 2004, not 2001, not 2000. <laughs> I'm not focused on any of those seasons. They're done. And for this, season, for this season's team, is it important for you to address the Malcolm Butler thing with your team? It's important for me to have a good season in 2018. I'm going to do everything I can to do that do the best that I can for our football team. That's my job, and that's my responsibility. That's what I'm going to try to do. Hopefully you can respect that, but maybe not. I mean, great job by Dan Shaughnessy in kind of trying to position Belichick against the fans. Like, mm-hmm. do you care that the fans 
want to know why Malcolm Butler didn't play in the Super Bowl. In this context, Bucky, I am more of a fan than anything else. I want to know why he didn't play in the damn Super Bowl. When your defense is getting shredded in the way they were, (laughs) I hate to begin the show going back six months, but this is where we are with the Patriots, where this incredible moment where their top defensive back who played 98% of their snaps during the regular season was not on the field in the biggest game of the year, couldn't get defensive snaps when your team defense is getting gashed, and Belichick stands up there and does that. I mean, to me, he has an obligation to answer those questions deeper than what he has. I think he could have made a story, a a smaller story, if he just addressed it. Immediately after the game, we thought it gave us the best opportunity to win. Malcolm didn't practice well during the week. Maybe he missed uh, some meetings or was late or he was sick. Anything. But just give us a little bit so we can kind of put it to bed. But by not addressing it in the immediate follow-up after the game, he has made an issue that should have been a last season issue spill into this season. And it just becomes bigger because it's never going away. People are going to continue to ask. If they get out to a slow start, they're going to then point back to did he lose his team? Did he lose his team because of what happened in the Super Bowl? So I think it would just be easier for everybody if he would just address it. Just get it out of the way. Take, Say whatever it was. Coach's decision. We thought it gave us the best chance to win. Why? And then be done with it. it there, I mean, look, I don't know what went into it. There has to be more than he had a bad couple of weeks of practice because even if that was the case, you sit him out for the first half. Then when you suck in the first half – like, all right, well, our other defensive backs can't stop anybody. How about we roll Malcolm Butler out there and see what well, he can do? Well, I mean, do? That's, that's, that's the thing, because ultimately with the Patriots, the one thing we know about the Patriots, they would do anything and everything yep. to win. Game plans will change from one week to the next to give them the best chance to win. And they are always credited for their coaching staff being the best in-game adjusters mm-hmm. of anybody. And so when you look at that game and the way it was playing out and Nick Foles is hot and he's dealing, he's throwing it all over the yard – the fact that they never considered putting Malcolm Butler in is still mystifying. You just can't understand where in any situation the guy who has been your number one corner is now not one of your top five, six defensive backs on a game day. It just doesn't make sense unless there was something off the field that made you have basically an in-game suspension for your player. When does Matt Patricia turn Judas here? Like When does he <laughs> decide? I don't think like, they ever do. I don't yeah. think – I don't think, but they you remember ever... his press conference after the, um, you know, Patricia's press conference after the Super Bowl. It's like a hostage video. He's standing up there. He's like repeating the Belichick line. You look at him in the eyes, like there's no way he believes this. Yes. no way. And then you read in the aftermath of him getting that Lions job that he was going after Malcolm Butler. So he clearly likes Malcolm Butler as a yes. football player. Well, I mean, look, he ended up in Tennessee with a, a former Patriots disciple, Mike Vrabel. Yeah, there had to be conversations internally between old. Patriots staffers to figure out, hey, what's going on with Malcolm Butler? Is he a good player? Can we trust him? Should we write him a big check to make him be one of our top corners down here in Tennessee? This is something that happened between the head coach and the player, and the head coach just refuses to talk about whatever issue took place between him and his former guy. Vrabel had a nice lie during that process. Like, yeah, I didn't ask Malcolm about that. Like that, we don't even we don't talk about that. I mean, like, <laughs> come on. Like, if you that's the first thing I mean, you they, ask him they about. They certainly drink the the company Kool Aid and. It is long-lasting because even after they leave New England, they still don't betray the loyalty. They still don't betray Bill Belichick. Um, Isn't it astonishing, though, given the number of players that that have been part of that team, key players that have left New England, uh, the tentacles of it, a coach in Matt Patricia. You have Amendola now down south in, mm -hmm. in Miami. Nobody is really 
giving you anything, I mean, except for the fact that I think it's pretty clear there are still some players out there that have no idea why Malcolm Butler wasn't playing. Well, I think some of their best players don't know. Yeah. I don't think Danny Amendola said he, he didn't know. When you talk to James Harrison, uh, James Harrison, those guys didn't know what really took place to keep Malcolm Butler from being a viable contributor in the Super Bowl. Look, we've all been on teams where we've seen star players get benched for whatever reason. But normally those guys go back in. It, you, you don't bench somebody um, – to, to discipline them at the expense of the other team, mm-hmm. particularly in a Super Bowl. Like normally, hey, let's win a Super Bowl, then we're just jettisoning him, we'll move on from him. But to give up a Super Bowl to kind of prove a point, I just think it's tough. It's, it's, it's tough to explain it. And I think what it does is some of the stuff that you've seen from players this offseason are unprecedented in terms of how New England has typically done. Tom Brady's always been compliant. He's always been a guy that's kind of towed the company line, always been there for all the offseason workouts. He wasn't there. Rob Gronkowski kind of let out, ah, it's not really fun up here anymore. Danny Amendola goes to Miami, fires a shot. So you're beginning to hear more from players than we've ever heard before about New England, and I think it's a direct, I mean, you can point back to the Super Bowl, and it relates to how they treated Malcolm Butler, why they lost the game, and a lot of people looking sideways at Bill Belichick. See, the issue it becomes, as you said, like if they start the season slow, did they lose the team? The problem is they play in the worst division football, a division that just can't seem to catch them in any way. I mean, it's 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 an abysmal division there. I mean, nobody can compete with them, so they can go 10-6, and 11-5 easily without breaking a sweat in that division. Yeah, as long as they have TB12, they're always going to win 10 or 11 games. It's just a matter of um, what does the rest of it look like? Is the rest of the team going to be good enough for them to make a run? The thing about the AFC this year, there's some legitimate contenders. Now, in the division, there's no one that can knock them off for the division title. Buffalo, I think, takes a step back. The Jets are still young. And Miami is Miami in terms of we never know what we're going to get on a weekend, Ryan week out basis. Ryan terrible. Ryan Tannehill is awful. I mean, he is. Like, I'll, just, I'll let you say he's that he's just, terrible. He's just, he's just bad. Like, he is a bad <laughs> quarterback. Let's, let's not let's not think. All right, we'll, we'll talk about that with Daniel Jeremiah. He's going to come up about 10 minutes from now. I also want to get into uh, Des Bryant. He needs to put the Twitter down. How about we do a, a segment on guys that need to get off Twitter? Des Bryant and Kevin Durant. Which one needs to get off Twitter uh, first? We'll talk about that. Jerry Jones. Uh, his anthem policy, how is that sitting in with the Cowboys? We'll get into that a little bit. Todd Gurley, running back, gets himself a nice, big, fat deal. I know you've talked about that over the last week, Bucky. We'll get into that more with uh, Gurley. Le'Veon Bell, not happy, it would seem, uh, about that. And DeMar DeRozan uh, spoke up this week about what happened between himself and the Raptors, how he's not happy with Masai Ujiri in Toronto. Should Masai Ujiri care since he got the best player in that deal? So do all that and more. It's Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks here on Fox Sports Radio. All right, it's Fox Sports Radio, Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks. Great news. Quick way you can save money, switch to Geico. Go to geico.com, and in 15 minutes, could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Daniel Jeremiah is going to join us just a minute from now. Bucky, I don't know if you saw this quote this week about the Patriots and Tom Brady. This is from an uh, anonymous NFL scout talking to Bleacher Report. You take Brady off that roster, and they don't beat the Browns. I'm not joking. That's one of the worst rosters in the entire NFL, but you never hear about it. Because Brady is so bleeping good. What do you think? They have losing correct. <laughs> Tom Brady is the ultimate Febreze. He makes everything right over there. That's a nickname. Yeah, Let's because, call Febreze. Yeah, right? because everything. Like the roster, he probably ro- smells pretty good. Too. Yeah, the yeah, roster good. The roster stinks otherwise. If you really look at their blue chip players, it's Tom Brady, Rob Gronkowski, and then you have some borderline blue chippers in Stephon Gilmore, maybe Dante Hightower. 
But outside of that, they really don't have any marquee names. They don't have anyone that teams would be coveting. Uh, I'll say McCourty, Devin McCourty. We'll mm-hmm. throw him out there. Yeah. But outside of that, you don't see teams that are really excited to trade for Patriots. And normally when they leave and get away from New England, they don't do anything. Yeah. Um, a lot of it is Tom Brady an outstanding system and coaching where they really have mastered the art of winning situational football. They're well-coached. They're detailed. When you talk to guys who have played there, they say, I've never been more prepared than I was when I played for the Patriots. And so, look, Marty Schottenheimer used to say this all the time, more games are lost than won. And so if you just take care of the ball, don't do silly things, don't have penalties or whatever, you're going to win the overwhelming majority of your games. And then when you throw in the fact that you have Tom Brady, you win a bunch of them. That's what the Patriots do. Febreze, I like that one. Oh, uh, we talk about it on the podcast. My okay. partner tell you. I will try to let's bring in, let's bring in your podcast partner, Daniel Jeremiah, the former scout for the Ravens, Browns, Eagles, NFL Network analyst. Daniel, do you think that the Patriots roster without Tom Brady is quote one of the worst in the NFL? Uh, look, I I don't know that the I can't give the Browns credit for beating anybody because I haven't done <laughs> it the last year. So that, that, that would be the only thing I would differ on, but. That roster's been, like Bucky described it, for a long time. The difference is they're extremely well coached, and they're never out of position. Um, so there's that side of it. But I remember going back one year when uh, Detroit, their defensive line was loaded. And I remember going into that game against the Patriots. I thought, there's no way the Patriots are going to block them. And the Patriots scored like 40 points. And so I thought, man, I must have been wrong. I went back and watched the tape, and Detroit up front physically manhandled the Patriots. But Brady had deciphered everything so quick and worked so quickly through his progressions, the ball was gone. So even though they lost all those individual battles, you know that's why we use that word, the Febreze, because Tom Brady just made it all better. Let me ask you this. We opened the show talking about, um, you know, we're still talking about Malcolm Butler. We're six, seven months removed from the Super Bowl, but the fact that Belichick has not uh, addressed the Butler situation either publicly or privately, it seems, it seems amongst his players, is still lingering out there. Do you think Belichick owes it either to his players or to the public to go deeper on this and explain his reasoning? Well, I think we would all like him to, but Belichick's never, ever operated through the rearview mirror. He's always looking through the windshield, so uh, he's never going to go back. And he won't go back to celebrate, and he won't go back to try and publicly figure, you know, explain why things didn't go well. So he just, he will never, ever live in the past, if it's good or bad. You're not going to get that out of him. I admire uh, Shaughnessy going for it, but I think even before he asked those questions, he knew the answers he was going to get. You know, DJ, we're going to come out to L.A., and we're going to focus on Ty Gurley signing the big deal uh, with the Rams. What do you think about the way that Ty Gurley just got paid, David Johnson is about to get paid, and Le'Veon Bell is playing on the franchise tag? Is the market changing for running backs in the National Football League? I think it's changing, and we talk about this all the time, Buck, but I think it's changing for those guys that can do everything. You know, if you're that multi-purpose, you know, kind of label them as an, as an offensive weapon, um, then I think you can say it's changing. Uh, you know, if you got to be you're pretty multi-dimensional, though, to see that type of a payday, if you're just a pure two-down runner, um, I, I don't know you're going to get that money. I, I'll tell you the name that's going to be interesting, and he's just going into his second year, so we'll have to wait another year or two before his contract gets addressed, but... Somebody like Leonard Fournette with what he does, just as a true pounding running back who maybe is not going to be quite the asset there in the passing game, is he going to be able to command that type of money? That'll be an interesting case study. It will be an interesting case study when you think about running backs and are we going to be able to categorize those guys separately? Uh, You have your runners and then your multi-purpose playmakers. But in another vein, 
we always talk about pass rushers maybe being the second most important position in football. But here I'm looking at Aaron Donald and Khalil Mack holding out. Both of those guys want, quote-unquote, quarterback money. Are we going to see the day soon where defensive ends and defensive tackles make 20-plus million dollars? Wow. I mean, it's going to be you – know, it's got to be married up, in my opinion. It's got to be married up with quarterbacks on their rookie deal because that just saves so much money on your cap and allows you to, uh, to, to have kind of a luxury spending at other positions. So it's going to be hard when you have an established quarterback that's on his second deal who's already making – 25 to 30 million a year to then throw another player in that same category uh, on the defensive side of the ball. So the good news for, you know, that bodes well for Aaron Donald if you're comparing him with Khalil Mack and that Derek Hart, he got that second payday and you're looking at Jared Goff still playing on his rookie deal. So I'd be a little bit more optimistic about Aaron Donald getting done before Khalil Mack gets done. But it, it is, it is fun to watch because we've seen this lead league so drift so heavily towards offense. I mean, it, you just see shootout after shootout in the playoffs last year. You see a Super Bowl where the team that lost still put up 600 yards. Uh, so to me, all, all the money is being invested on that side of the ball right now. Talking to Daniel Jeremiah, former NFL scout, NFL Network analyst. You can follow him on Twitter, at MoveTheSticks. Let me follow up on Khalil Mack. Uh, seems to be a, a, a stalemate between Mack and the Raiders right now. I mean, do you find it odd that it seems like John Gruden has had little to no contact with Khalil Mack up to this point? Absolutely. Just because you, you say, okay, this is a leader of the football team. So, you know, hey, we want to get on a new on a new page together. Uh, let's get this thing turned around. And even, uh, you know, I could see maybe there being a shutoff point where it's like, okay, you get through the off season, and then we know that because of the contract, he's not going to show up. And maybe Khalil Mack goes in the bunker at that point in time uh, and turns off all communication. But to not have had really any contact at all with Khalil Mack, that's, that's, I don't think that's a good sign for the Raiders going forward. Why is Des Bryant still unemployed? Well, I mean, look, if he if he was able to create as much separation, um, you know, on the football field as he is from his ex teammates, he would already be signed. <laughs> so that that to me is was kind of the whole reason. We can all all the talk back and forth, and the you know he said this or he said that or this guy got me out. Look, it's pretty simple. He couldn't get away from people oh, really over the last couple of years. And then he start dropping a bunch of balls. So you've got kind of a guy that's not going to give you much, you know, stretch or vertical stretch, and he's not winning the 50-50 balls that, that he became known for. So this, to me, is all about his play on the field. Whatever his personality is, um, I, that would have been something they would have got over if the production and the playmaking was still there. So that's what that whole thing was all about. This is all, this is all just kind of noise to me. I mean, this was about what took place on the field, nothing else. I can't let you go without talking about the Chargers. You just recently were named the color analyst on their radio broadcast. What's the most? Ex- what's the biggest thing that you're looking for when you go check out the Chargers this training camp? Yeah, I'm on my way in there right now, Buck. I'm uh, I'm anxious to see who's going to kind of step up with the tight end position. I know the Jason Red injury was was is tough, but they have so much depth there. Uh, they're going to be fine at corner. I think the bigger injury was Hunter Henry in the off season. So. Uh, they've got some, you know, bringing Virgil Green, the tight end uh, from Denver, and more of a blocker. But they've got a couple other young tight ends in, uh, in uh, Colkin and, and Bowman. See if those guys can step up. If not, I think Antonio Gates will be picking up the phone. When are they going to move back to San Diego, right? I mean, are we going to wave the white flag in the L.A. experiment at this point? That doesn't seem to be working out. <laughs> well, I don't know. That goes over my pay grade, but I just know that what the Chargers, you know, the former San Diego Chargers, the current LA Chargers, 
I think they're going to be a really good football team this year, and I think that'll that'll quiet some of that noise. There you go. Nice deflection there. Well done there, Daniel. <laughs> I appreciate it. Hey, Daniel, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate the time. All right, guys. Take care. I had this argument with Plasky, and not to make it like an East Coast, West Coast fan base thing, but like, I mean, LA has a hard time supporting like one football team. The idea of bringing two never made any sense. I understand the media market of it all. I understand not being able to get a stadium built in San Diego. All that stuff makes sense. But you come here and you play in front of embarrassing crowds. It's going to take you a generation to attract real fans, if ever, uh, to the San Diego, to the L.A. Chargers. I never really bought into that. Did you? Well, if they win. If they win, you know L.A. L.A. will jump on. Like, yeah, every, L.A. LA, big, big time, big time, LA, yeah. LA got excited about the That's Rams right, last year. Is Plasky coming on, on this network at some point? Can you just save this tape and the L.A. bandwagon you just, fans? You just have to win. If you win, then everyone gets excited. If you come around town, you'll see all the Rams shirts, all the hats, and everyone expects them to be a Super Bowl contender. There are more Rams fans locally. The Chargers are also kind of talked about in their life. If they win a couple games early, they get off to a 5-0 start. You'll see more L.A. Chargers fans kind of pop yeah, up. because they jump right on the bandwagon. Yeah, this is where Plashy, This is where Plashy got mad at me, though, because he's like, you Boston fans, you show up for anything. Win, lose, or whatever. If your team sucks, you're still there. Like, yeah, because we're called actual fans of the team, and we support them <laughs> through and through. When those Red Sox were going through their doldrums of a century-long you know, baseball oblivion, we were there. When yeah. the Celtics lost all their guys in the 1990s, we were there. But you can admit over the last... The last fifteen to twenty years, it's been an oh, it's title time. It's, it's, it's been an embarrassment of riches. It's like, title time. I feel like everybody and their mom is tied to Boston. Yeah, like Celtics, Bruins, Red Sox, Patriots can't get away from. Them. And not only that, you're not gracious winners. No, no, God, you're not, no, you're not, oh, no, no, we shove it right down your throat. You're not gracious no, winners. No, 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 no. <laughs> no but I, what, what's crazy is that like I'm 38 years old and. There are 17-year-olds growing up in Boston right now. Like, that's, all they know. that's all we do is win. What are you talking about? <laughs> we win. I'm like, no, 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 we didn't. No, we don't. Meet, meet the 1990s and how bad we were in every single sport. All right, I do want to get into Des Bryant and his unemployment. Des Bryant's still out there looking for a new team. 29 years old, not that far removed from being a top-shelf wide receiver. I want to get your thoughts on that. Plus, Jerry Jones, the anthem policy there. What kind of uh, friction could that cause around the NFL. But first, let's check in with Ilo. See what's going on out there. What's up, Ilo? Chris and Bucky, we've got plenty of NFL news already on this Sunday. Aditi Kinkabwala of NFL Media reported today that Pittsburgh Steelers left guard Ramon Foster hyperextended his knee yesterday but did not suffer any ligament damage and will not need surgery. Should be out four to five weeks. Tampa Bay Buccaneers rookie first-round defensive tackle Vita Vea left practice today reportedly with a left calf strain. The Los Angeles Chargers today signed undrafted rookie offensive lineman Eric Wren. Wren last season was the starting center for Baker Mayfield and the Oklahoma Sooners. Late Saturday night, Carolina Panthers starting right tackle Daryl Williams was diagnosed with a dislocated right patella and torn MCL and is out indefinitely. And finally, one baseball note. Last night, Atlanta Braves television broadcaster Joe Simpson delivered a rant criticizing Los Angeles Dodgers players for wearing T-shirts while taking batting practice instead of more typical batting practice jerseys. Simpson termed the attire, quote, unprofessional and an embarrassment, unquote. The rant has since gone viral. Well, today, Bill Plunkett of the Orange County Register reported that Simpson relayed word of an apology to Dodgers manager Dave Roberts, though they have not yet met in person. Roberts today called the comments, a cheap shot. It's a day game between the Dodgers and Braves today, so unfortunately the Dodgers would not be taking batting practice because it's a day game. 
Dodgers' Kike Hernandez planned to wear a Speedo during batting practice today, according to his Twitter feed. Chris and Bucky, on that note, back to you. It's Fox Sports Radio. Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks. Can we please get that guy out there in a Speedo? Oh, God. The people like that drive me crazy. The get-off-my-lawn types. Like, get out there, have your full uniform on in pristine condition. How dare you wear a T-shirt during warm-ups, Bucky? There are a lot of rules in baseball. There are a lot of... And that, you know what? Rules, that's why it sucks. Rules. There's a lot, lot of rules. That's why, like, I mean. Hard to be in compliance. Oh, God. That's why baseball has the oldest demographic of any in the four major sports. That's why baseball is decaying out there. I mean, think about it. The one that grows the fastest is the NBA, yep. and that's more, you know, modern. It appeals to a younger audience. Fluid. Baseball, if you flip your bat, you're probably going to get plunked off the head. And now you've got some old man in Atlanta talking about guys wearing, and I'm assuming he's an old man in Atlanta. I'm just, I have no idea who this guy is. Uh, but <laughs> I'm assuming that. You have some guys saying that these teams should not be wearing T-shirts to batting practice. I Come mean, on. I mean, I, <laughs> I don't know. Like, I mean, they, they were they were team-issued T-shirts, right? They had Dodgers on them. Yeah. I don't, I, I I don't can't... care if they had, like, you know, meow on it. Like, I, I, I don't... Man, he would hate to come to an NFL game to see guys running around in compression shorts and all that in pregame. Now, plus, like, it's part of, like, and that's what the NFL, like, when the NFL, they show these guys going through their pregame routine a lot of times they're wearing some of the gear that sponsors them, right? They're wearing yep. their T-shirts. They got their Bose headsets on. They're doing a whole bunch of, of sponsorship, yeah. which I think is fine. Like it's, yep. you know, be loose. Don't be like all uptight in these situations. Yeah. Let's, let's also get the manager out of those uniforms too. He looks stupid. Managers look. Fat I can't really understand it. You know, I I did like when they started wearing sweatshirts. Yeah. I just don't understand why you're in uniform. You're not playing. Let's go back to the suit. Like let's have uh like like basketball coaches. Like, let's have them in a suit. You walk out to the mound in like Pat Riley type Versace. <laughs> like, like, oh, here comes Joe Madden. Or ha- have guys wear. You saw? Did you see what Joe Madden wore to the White House after the Cubs won the World Series? No, what do you? It's have a on? great clip. Like everybody else is wearing a suit, and Madden is wearing like a fisherman jacket. He's at the White House <laughs> with like a fisherman jacket and a turtleneck on. So he just like is a sore thumb. And even Barack Obama is there, and he's like looking at Joe. He's like Joe. Nice to see you dressed up today. <laughs> like, good look for you there. I like it. I respect it. Let's go back to that. Let's change things up. Because managers look kind of frumpy in those. Uh, yeah. In those I, yeah. I don't understand the uniform deal. It's kind of goofy. All right. Spe- uh, going from goofy to a little strange. Des Bryant, the uh, Cowboys wide receiver, former Cowboys wide receiver, let go by Dallas uh, before the start of free agency. Uh, he's still out there. You know, from what we know, the Baltimore Ravens made him some kind of offer, believed to be. A multi-year deal. Des turned it down by his own account to get a one-year deal and enter free agency in the summer of 2019. That, to me, Bucky, would seem to be something teams would want. Like, if you can get a guy on a one-year deal, I mean, we see contending teams do it all the time with faded star players. The Patriots made a living out of doing it, going back to, like, the Corey Dillon days of uh, of their early years with Belichick. Why do you think it is that Des Bryant has, doesn't have a job right now? You see his numbers. They're certainly in decline over the last couple of years, as Daniel Jeremiah pointed out. However, he still would seem like a guy 29 years old that would have some value to a team. He does have some value, but I think he's trying to approximate what is that right value. Um, when the skills decline and you have maybe character concerns, I won't say that he's a bad dude, but you have uh, an emotional player who is prone to outburst on the sideline, sometimes you're less likely to deal with that or you don't have a desire to deal with that if the production doesn't kind of outweigh those things. And what has happened for Dez, Dez has been a declining player the last couple of years, can't separate, um, has had issues with the drops, and so he's not a number one player anymore. 
So then it's, okay, you're not a number one player, so we're not going to pay you like a number one. Can he be comfortable being a number two or number three player? And if he he is that second or third player, can he kind of play his role? And so what you have, you have a lot of offense coordinators and team executives trying to figure out if we bring him on, is it going to be detrimental to the room? Do we have young receivers that are being impressionable and they'll get around Dez and Dez's behavior? Then they'll begin to think, oh, that's how I'm supposed to act out as a superstar. But I do believe he can go somewhere and play and contribute. But I think you have to have a strong personality head coach. You have to have other guys who are alpha personalities on the team and another alpha wide receiver to kind of keep him in line. And then it has to be a situation where the offensive coordinator understands where Dez is in his career and creatively, he does some things to give him opportunities in space. And I think Cleveland's a situation like that. And I think it was interesting that Antonio Brown tweeted at Dez and asked him to come join Pittsburgh mm-hmm. because Pittsburgh could be another situation where he could go there and be very comfortable being a sidekick to Juju Smith-Schuster and Antonio Brown on the outside. And Mike Tomlin appears to be okay dealing with big personality. Yeah, that strikes me as a locker room that could absorb him pretty well. Seattle might be that type of team, too, a locker room that could absorb him pretty well. Is there a T.O. element to him in that way? Like, you talked about how a guy that has outbursts on the sidelines, you wonder about his impact with other wide receivers. It feels like that could have been a little bit. And and some of it, to be honest, like some of it has been overblown because we've all caught the snippets um, of Dez on the sideline. We really don't know what those conversations are. And also, wide receivers are treated differently than quarterbacks. When Tom Brady uh, goes off and argues and barks at Josh McDaniels. It is seen as leadership. When Dez does some, something different, it is perceived in a different way. I think the big thing, you have to know what you're dealing with. You have to find a way to challenge Dez in the right way to allow him to kind of grow his game. I think the thing that is really disappointing for me is to think that his game didn't grow and expand as he got older during his time in Dallas. And I put a lot of that on the coaching staff head coach, coordinator, position coach, even though he's a star, you still have to coach him. I felt like he was not coached the last couple years. He didn't add tools to the toolbox, which is why his game has kind of diminished and declined as he's gotten older. A lot of times, as the athleticism wanes, the knowledge base takes over and allows you to flourish. Look at Larry Fitzgerald and some of the older players that continue to thrive. Yeah, and he's not doing himself, I think, any favors by being on social media and being so combative with the Cowboys. Now, here's the clip of uh, what Stephen Jones, just to bring it all back, Des Bryant got angry at something that Stephen Jones said on Sirius XM NFL Radio. Here's what Jones said as it pertains to Des Bryant. I think he's got to trust the system. Uh which I think at times last year there was pressure with Dez in his ear, uh, to some degree Jason in his ear, if those great players want balls. Yeah, I mean, look, with the, that, with the context of that, we was talking about Dak Prescott and the struggles at times he had last season and how, you know, when you're a great player and a veteran player like Des Bryant has been, you tell your young quarterback, get me the damn ball. Jason Witten, been around forever. Get me the ball, and that can impact a quarterback. I hear that sound, and, and look, and you can hear the 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 – the mm-hmm. joking in Jones's voice there. You could tell he was smiling while he was he was saying that. I didn't take that as a shot. Now, SiriusXML, whoever runs the Twitter account, didn't do him any favors either. But oh, they, kind ba- of, they baited him. They, and they butchered that quote a little bit. They were basically saying, like, Dez is, you know, Dez was in his ear. And that's why Dak Prescott struggled. Dez took it as an affront, went on Twitter, said, enough of that scapegoat bleep. Um, he's not wrong in the sense that SiriusXM NFL, they did him wrong with that tweet. But 
it's just kind of another brick on the pile, right? If you're engaging on social media, it, it increases that perception that maybe you could be problematic in the locker room. Uh, a little bit, but I think we're in a time, and we're going to talk about Kevin Durant later, but we're oh, in a time yeah. now where players clap back. You so, can tweet at Kevin Durant right now. He'd respond. Oh, I mean, probably not. I mean, maybe. 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 But yeah, what but, time is it but when, you, when you at guys on Twitter, you have to be prepared for the response. And look, Sirius did a great job. They kind of cut the quote out, conveniently left Dez's name in, dropped Jason Witten's out. So <laughs> naturally, all players take things very, very personally. And I've been, on, I've been engaged in Twitter interactions with players because something I've written or said, true or not, they get mad. So you have to be able to engage and go back and forth. I don't think those issues, his Twitter outbursts, will really be an issue. I think the people who know Dez – the teams that are interested in this, they know who he is. They know exactly what they're getting. They know what he's going to be like in the locker room, how he's going to be with a young quarterback or a veteran quarterback or not. And to be honest, all receivers are the same. They all are the same. Like, if you're not getting the ball at wide receiver, it's nothing more than a track meet. Who wants to run up and down the field and not touch the ball? So what good teams do, they have someone on the sideline who will tell you, hey, he hasn't got a touch in two or three series. Mm-hmm. Got to get him the ball. You got to find a way to keep Dez engaged. If you make it a partnership more than a dictatorship, I think he'll play for you. Yeah, we'll get deeper into Dez Bryant. Calvin Watkins covers the Cowboys. He's going to join the program a little bit later on in the show. We'll talk about where Dez is as a player, what kind of impact he had on that locker. When we come back, I do want to get into Kevin Durant and his social media habits. Kevin Durant was in Vegas this past week at the USA Basketball Minicamp, addressed a variety of of topics, including his eagerness to clap back at anybody, even those with like 17 followers, who are going at him on Twitter and Instagram. We'll do that next. Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks here on Fox Sports Radio. Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks here on Fox Sports Radio. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to geico.com 15 minutes ago. So let me establish this baseline on Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is not a bandwagon jumper. Kevin Durant is was not, for the last two years, along for the ride with Golden State championships. When Golden State wins a championship this year, not if, but when, when they win a title this year, it will largely be because of Kevin Durant's greatness. So Kevin Durant, after three years in Golden State, is going to pocket $80 million and probably, most likely, have three championships that he was instrumental in in bringing to them. Now, you would think, Bucky, that that would establish some level of self-confidence, that you wouldn't be beholden to, you know, Steve12785 on Twitter, <laughs> or Eggbot234, or Durant sucks 1789 on social media and or Instagram, but that's just not the case with Kevin Durant. He is unapologetic in his willingness or eagerness even to clap back on social media. Why is it? Help me understand this, because I've known Kevin for a long time. I like Kevin a lot. A extremely good guy. Uh, never in trouble. Kind of like what we talked about with LeBron James. Never in trouble. Just does his thing. Uh, has a few gaffes here or there, but nothing serious. Why is it? Do you understand at all why he's so eager to go on Instagram and clap back on somebody else? To have burner accounts that criticized the Oklahoma City Thunder as he did uh, earlier this year. Help me understand this. Well, I mean, I, I can kind of relate to it. I mean, look, you're on Twitter. You're active on social media. Like, sometimes you get guys that hit you up. They're in your mentions. And sometimes you like to stick a little dynamite in them. 
couple times, yes. Yeah, so 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 Kevin Durant enjoys a little banter. When people come at him, he's going to go back. I don't see anything wrong with it. I think the funny thing is we kind of judge and analyze his retorts to people that come at him. Look, we all have a level of sensitivity. Uh, Twitter, social media can kind of pick at our insecurities. But, I mean, if you're willing to engage and go back and forth, I think you have to be willing to fire it, to take it when they fire back. I think Kevin Durant is more than willing to dish it out. You would like to see him kind of move on because I, I kind of have a personal thing. Like you have to have like so many followers before I go back. I'm not going mm-hmm. to kind of like waste. I won't say waste my time in an arrogant way. No, but, it's, it's yeah, wasting I mean, like, your time. Yeah, but yeah, but like if you have a good following, you want to go back and forth. I'll do it, but I'm not going to respond to the egghead or the dude with like ten followers. Like there's nothing. I don't get anything out of it. Look, if he wants to go back at like fifty cent, who's got to say <laughs> something to him, like you know, your you know, your, your, your jumper's off, KD, or your bandwagon jumper, that's fine. If you want to get engaged in that kind of battle, but don't do some dude living in his basement. Like, just don't. Who just who like you know gets up and gets giddy the fact that KD hit back on him because then stupid things happen. Like it's not even the clapping back; it's the burner account stuff that happened earlier in the year where he's like, he didn't like it there. He didn't. Uh, it was only him and Russ didn't like playing for Billy Donovan. Clearly meant to be used uh, from a burner account, but comes from his own uh, KD. Now that account. Like, he, he needs to be able to put his name on, just put your name on. If you want to go at somebody, like just put your name on. I think most people can respect mm. you if you're authentic. And if you're going to come at him, but just put your name on. I think the thing that drives everyone crazy, if you're hiding behind a Finstagram account or a burner account on Twitter, like just say it, put your name to it and then engage back and forth. We can deal with that. I found with my interactions with current players, look, they may not like the opinion, but if you go back and forth, if you can kind of justify or support your opinion, most people are okay with it. I think with KD, just... Hey, if you're going to fire, fire hard. Yeah. Just put uh, your name on Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that part of it. And look, the people that criticize him for going to Golden State, again, three years, $80 million, three championships. At 30 years old, Kevin Durant is going to enter unrestricted free agency next summer with basically a blank canvas. His legacy is all but secured at this point. This is why I said an FS1 earlier in the week, I can see Kevin Durant taking a long look back at Oklahoma City when this is all over. Because Oklahoma City is the only place he could go to where all this would stop. All the the criticisms would be quieted. You wouldn't have the Thunder supporters going at him quite as much. You certainly wouldn't have people in Golden State calling him a snake for leaving after bringing a couple of championships in three years. I can see that. Now, it's difficult to imagine financially there because there's a lot of financial gymnastics that have to go into it, but um, he's going to have the ability to kind of come full circle next summer if he really wants to make it work with Oklahoma City. But then... What about Russ in that? Because yeah, but the relationship's better than I think it's been at any point in time since he left. I mean, they're at USA Basketball Camp this week working together. There's videos out there of that stuff. Yeah, I just, I just wonder like how Russ would take that or whatever. He I wants think to the, win, though, man. Russ yeah, just wants to win. He, yeah, he badly I mean, I wants to win. I mean, but I think, I think we, I think a lot of us feel Russ because Russ is so competitive, and it's kind of like me against the world. I don't care either with me or against me, and I deal with it. It would be interesting to see if KD could go back to that environment and – how would he and Russ get along on the court? I think the biggest thing that people have talked about on the court, do their games mesh and match, and then you throw PG-13 in there. How does all that fit? Yeah, you put them all together, though. Russ, KD, Paul I mean, it's nice. All of a sudden, you've got the new super team. It's back the what West they had Dallas. when they had James Harden, exactly. and they went to the finals. Exactly. Having James Harden. Oh, man. that's There should be a 30 for 30 on that team. Like, how... <laughs> You know, what, if, what if we told you that there was a team of 21-year-old, <laughs> two, three MVPs, 
that could make it. We'll get back into that much more ahead. It's Chris Mannix, Bucky Brooks coming here from L.A. on Fox Sports Radio. Ah, it's Fox Sports Radio, Chris Mannix, Yahoo Sports, Bucky Brooks, five-year NFL veteran, NFL Network analyst joining you here for the next couple of hours. A lot of NFL stuff to get to. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote today. A little bit later on, Bucky, I do want to get into Tom Brady's impromptu press conference yesterday, which ended when someone had the audacity. How dare... Someone have the audacity to ask Tom Brady about his snake oil salesman of a pal, Alex <laughs> oh Guerrero, my gosh. and personal wow. friend. I'm not. That's not hyperbole here. I'm not just saying snake like, oil salesman. You know his history, though, right? <laughs> this guy was selling cancer juice like 15 years ago. I mean, this is. I don't think you can ever recover from that. If you're selling a product that you're claiming <laughs> cures, you know, terminal diseases, cancer juice. If you're if you're like I mean literally that Supreme Greens was shut down by the government because it doesn't do what it says it did. So if you're trying to sell that stuff to people, I don't think you can be anything but a horrible human being. I, I don't. I, I just don't. I don't think See, you can recover from that. Here's the thing: I, I come from a different perspective because I've been around guys who swear by him. T.J. Hushmanzada believes he's the best guy he's ever been around when it comes to getting his body right. I don't think really? those, these two things though are mutually exclusive. Yeah, what you're no. saying here, like he can be great at that and still be <laughs> a snake oil salesman over here. Willie McGinnis and some of the other guys that have worked with him, they believe that he is a guru. So, I mean, Tom swears by, look, Tom is the greatest to ever do it at that position. That guy's always been in this corner. That's why he supports this guy. Do those guys also buy the neuro water that he was <laughs> selling there that apparently takes care of concussions? Are we... Are we okay with this stuff? The point of this, Bucky, is that I don't think it's an, it's an unfair question to ask Tom Brady about Alex Guerrero potentially having something to do with Julian Edelman's positive drug test. Because Alex Guerrero, in the past, has been associated to shady things. It is. It really is. It's like if, if, if a boxer, a lot of boxers nowadays work with Victor Conti, the guy who was with Balco. Uh, Balco. It's like if a guy gets popped who's working for Victor Conti, like would the boxer be all of a sudden, or uh, another boxer that he works with, all of a sudden be offended by the question of, do you think Victor Conti had anything to do with like a positive drug test that fighter? <laughs> X just had. I mean, come on. You can you can have you can be I, fair and say Alex Guerrero's done a great job for Tom Brady. Tom Brady is 41 years old and at the peak of his power still. I give Alex Guerrero credit for that. I take credit away when I talk about the, you know, the 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 the, the what's the organic juice they have, the naked juice he's pouring into a glass <laughs> and saying it's going to cure like cervical cancer. Like that I have a problem with. That's my issue. Rent concluded right there. We'll get back into that. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys, they're rolling along right now. Dak Prescott uh, trying to bounce back uh, this year. Have another good season. Jason uh, uh, Jason Garrett, not on the hot seat per Jerry Jones. And, of course, the Des Bryant controversy still looming out there after a Twitter spat uh, involving Stephen Jones this week. And talk about all that more. Spring Calvin Watkins does a great job covering the Cowboys uh, over at The Athletic. And Calvin joins us here on the show. Calvin, let me ask you first for your takeaway on... Des Bryant v. Stephen Jones slash Sean Lee. Well, I was drinking my newer water this morning. <laughs> oh, you, your headache went away? No, that, that's my great. My headache went away. That's my great. headache went away. Yes, it worked. I, I'm a awesome. Uh, you know, this is how Des has felt for a long, long time. And Des is this emotional, immature guy. Um, 
And Stephen Jones, the quotes originally were presented inaccurately because Stephen Jones was talking about Jason Witten and Dez Bryant are in quarterback's ear. Um, but I think Dez is so sensitive on that topic that he's always in Dak's ear. He's always trying to get Dak to throw him the ball that when the quotes were originally presented, Dez goes off. Um, I think Dez went a little too far in saying that Sean Lake and Sean Lee got him, you know, released or whatever, because that's not true. You know, Sean Lee, who I've known since a rookie, has no influence like that. Um, I don't think the Cowboys operate like that. The Cowboys are just tired of Dez Bryant acting like a fool every other day at their facility. And he was producing at a, at a high clip. So it was kind of interesting to see Dez go off, but as one team official told me as this was going on, and we were, I was showing this team official all the tweets from Dez, and he said a couple of years ago someone came to him and said, you know, Dez is mature. He's 11 years old now. And that's how the Cowboys look at him. He's this kid that will never grow up, that will never understand how to be a professional, and hopefully he'll get a job with Cleveland and, and maybe Hugh Jackson and those guys there will – mature him a little or help him mature and understand how to be a pro because as you guys know when you get a certain age it's over and then you got to figure out what to do with the rest of your life you know calvin you mentioned the production and no question des bryant's numbers from last year are far cry from what they were in 2014 when he was kind of at the peak of those uh wide receiver powers but he still was a guy with 69 catches last year 838 yards he had uh six touchdowns um how surprised are you, as someone that watched him play the last few seasons, how surprised are you that he doesn't have a job as we sit here on the cusp of August? Well, I would say uh, it does surprise me, but when I look at how it all went down, the Cowboys could have cut Dez back in March, or you know, basically during the combine, like a lot of teams did with players, to allow Dez to probably sign somewhere. And so they cut Dez when they did, which seems like a week ago, but it was really two months ago. So everyone kind of had their team set. He turned down a two-year offer from the Ravens uh, because Dez is betting on himself. Dez is believing, oh, I'll turn this two years down from the Ravens because I'll ball out and get a big money contract from either the Ravens or somebody else. And that's fine. That's his right to believe that. Um, But I am a little surprised that he's still out of work but based on how he was released so late in the off season when teams already have their 90-man rosters set, it kind of doesn't surprise me, but it does surprise me if that makes sense. If he was cut back in March and still on the market, I'd be stunned by this. But because he was cut two months ago, like I said, it, it, I, go, I go back and forth on it because, one, he wanted to play for the Giants, and the Giants don't want ODB and Dez in the locker room. Okay, <laughs> And all the teams – they know Dez is this combustible figure. They see him on the sidelines yelling and screaming. They know, you know, they, all these teams talk to each other, you know. So I'm sure that had something to do with why he's still on the market as well. So when you remove Dez and then you also remove Jason Witten from the wide receiver core, you really don't have a notable name. How is uh-huh. Dak Prescott going to bounce back from what some would say is a disappointing sophomore season to thrive in year three? without an established number one receiver on the roster? Uh, he's got this guy named Ezekiel Elliott, and that's going to help him. Uh, he's got three all-pro offensive linemen, and that's going to help him a little bit. Um, Alan Hearns is not bad. He's not a number one. He's a 2-3. Uh, Terrence Williams is a 2-3. Uh, 
Um, Cole Beasley's a slot guy. Tavon Austin, they can do some different things with him. Uh, Michael Gallup, who, who they drafted, is we don't know who he is yet because they just drafted him. So uh, they're going to run the ball probably more so than they've ever ran the ball before to maybe take a little pressure off Dak. Teams put eight in the box already, so that's no big deal to the Cowboys. And they're going to have to trick it up a little bit in, in, in the passing game and hope that Hearns plays above his level, hope that Terrence Williams plays above his level, hope that Cole Beasley plays above his level, hope that Tavon Austin can be something – they can find the Tavon Austin that was in St. Louis, you know, not the Tavon Austin that was in L.A. last year. Mm-hmm. So if, if all these things can come to fruition, then maybe the passing game will be okay. But, but to protect the passing game, they're giving it to Zeke Elliott. Okay, that, that makes sense. Um, I'm going to talk about this, but I'm talking about in a roundabout way. When Jerry Jones came out and made the hard and fast rule about the national anthem, everyone is focused on that. But the thing that I thought was interesting, Dak Prescott – Ezekiel Elliott were asked to speak on it. And to me, it kind of looked like the Dallas Cowboys are turning over the team to number four and number 21. Has it been a concerted effort by that coaching staff to make Dak Prescott and Ezekiel Elliott the leaders of the team now? Um, yes. Um, you know, obviously when you're a quarterback, you know, and, and Dak has always been a natural leader when he's at Mississippi State. So, and he replaced Tony Romo, as you remember, when Tony hurt his back and all that. So he had to understand what playing for America's team was about. And the Cowboys do want Dak to become more of a leader, and he is. Um, he's a very vocal guy, uh, charismatic guy. Zeke, um, I talked to the running backs coach, Gary Brown, about Zeke leadership, and he said Zeke has taken over the running back room. He's not a vocal leader, but he's quietly he leads by example. And I think that's a good thing. Um, now the media here, uh, and I'm part of it, was it unfair to talk to Zeke about leadership and all this kind of stuff, considering what he went through last year? Maybe so. I don't know. But um, you got to talk to your quarterback about these issues because he is the face of the franchise. And, and he answered how he answered it about the anthem and all the mm-hmm. other stuff. So, but they are being more leaders. They have to be leaders because this is such a young team. It's a young team. I look at these guys and I go, I don't know who you are. You know, I don't, where'd you come from? because they have no stars. So the stars on this team are the quarterback and the running back. I'll get you out here with this, Calvin. Um, Jason Garrett, um, Jerry Jones asked about him, you know, and I hate hot seat questions. You can kind of one hand <laughs> the number of times that a person in Jerry Jones' position is like, yeah, he is on the hot seat. He's going to get fired if he doesn't make the playoffs uh, this year. But privately, when you talk to people in the organization, what do they say about Jason Garrett and the expectations that are on him this season? you got to make the playoffs, man. Um, that's the bottom line. And they think they have a good enough team to make the playoffs, especially offensively. They have a young, hungry defensive team. Um, they've improved the coaching staff, uh, new receivers coach, new secondary coach, um, you know, new special teams coach. So they, they believe these things will push the Cowboys to another level. Uh, as you guys know, the NFC is hard. You know, um, Philly, no one thought Philly was going to win that thing, and they did. You know, so there are expectations to win uh, the Super Bowl here, as they're every year. But as Jerry said the other day, he said the number one reason why he's got optimism is because of Jason Garrett. And Jason Garrett is entering his eighth year as a head coach. He understands the, the dynamic of coaching for the Cowboys. There's always, always going to be distractions. And he might be the perfect coach to handle it in terms of he knows how Jerry is. But I think if he goes 10-6, and 9-7, and seven, he'll be fine. If he goes 5-11, you guys are going to be talking to me about coaching candidates. 
So that's just how it is. Hey, great to talk to you, Calvin. Keep up the great work, man. Thanks for joining us. You got to take care. I got to get on this water here so I can uh, watch practice today. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we appreciate it. Go to work. All right. That's <laughs> Calvin Watkins. He covers the Cowboys over uh, at the Athletic. I'm with him too. I mean, you can. I mean, it is dumb to ask a. I mean, I understand the the question. It's a soundbite type of question to ask Jerry Jones and ask any executive about your head coach. I mean, is he on the hot seat? Does he have to reach a certain level uh, to, uh, to 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 keep his job? But I think there is pressure on Jason Garrett this year. I mean, I think you have to win playoff games. I mean, it, things can change if you're. If you lose Ezekiel Elliott for the season with some kind of injury, if Dak Prescott gets hurt, of course you factor all that in. But if you're healthy, you've got to win the NFC East or at least be competitive in it. You've got to win a first-round playoff series. I mean, Jason Garrett, the clock is ticking. For a long time, he was Mr. 8-8. Eight eight. He was the 500 mm-hmm. man out there. He he made some strides in subsequent seasons, but if he's got a healthy team, Bucky, he's got to, he's got to achieve. Yeah, they got to win games. They were 9-7 last year. They missed six games. They missed their best player on offense for six games. Uh, Zeke Elliott returns. I think it allows them to win a ton of games. Uh, the Dallas Cowboys two years ago won a bunch of games because they were able to play keep away. Mm-hmm. 21 was essential. Zeke Elliott was essential to that strategy. He was the leading rusher. He was able to allow the Dallas Cowboys and that offensive line to really possess the ball. And it really helped Dak Prescott out because in that year he set an NFL record with 11 games of a passer rating over 100. If they get back to that recipe of pounding the ball, uh, a complimentary passing game, and really, I think the thing that's fascinating about Dak Prescott, when I look back at his career and the 16 games where he's thrown the ball to eight or more receivers, he's 14-2, and 21-4 touchdown-to-interception ratio, and his passer rating is well over 100. If they just spread the ball around and kind of take a New England approach where whoever's open gets the ball, there's still a ton of games that they can win, but a lot of it will be predicated on Ezekiel Elliott's presence and his ability to be productive against eight-man boxes when people stack the box to stop him as a runner. All right, we'll talk more about the Cowboys and the former Cowboy, Des Bryant. What is his future? Antonio Brown reaching out via Twitter. Why is everybody reaching out via Twitter nowadays? Come on, man, that's that's how you do it. Make phone calls anymore. Like Send a text, do something like that. (laughs) Could Des Bryant wind up on the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers? We'll dive into that. Uh, Plus, Kevin Durant, uh, his... Willingness to clap back on social media. I want to dive into that. Kevin was in Las Vegas this past week talking about it and uh, talking about the latest kind of controversy surrounding him and Blazers guard C.J. McCollum. We'll talk about that more with Billy King, the former uh, Sixers and Nets general manager. He's going to join the show at the bottom of the hour. It's Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks here on Fox Sports Radio. Maddox alongside Bucky Brooks. What does it mean when Geico says just 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance? It means you probably should have gone to Geico.com 15 minutes ago. Billy King, the former general manager in the NBA, he'll join the show at the bottom of the hour. We'll talk about the trade that sends Kawhi Leonard to Toronto and Kevin Durant clapping back on social media. What should teams, should teams have policies on this? If you're a GM, do you talk to Kevin Durant about his willingness to do that, eagerness to do that? We'll talk to Billy King about that in just a couple minutes. Two quick things I want to hit you with, Bucky, that we were... Uh, chatting about briefly during the break. The drum beat for the baseball shift, like banning it, and we were talking about this watching Bryce Harper hit just a minute ago on one of the screens up here. Uh, the drum beat for that grows louder every day. In 2015, Rob Manfred, the commissioner, was the one that first came out and said baseball is considering outlawing it. Like, am I wrong to think that's the dumbest thing in the world? Like, baseball players can't hit against a shift, don't not hit opposite field, so let's change the rules to make it easier for them. Like in any other sport, like 
All right, I'm six two. I can't dunk, so let's lower the rim two uh, two feet. Well, they've done. I mean, like in football, they've done things to kind of create and up the scoring. So, mm-hmm. for instance, uh, in yesteryear, you'd be able to bump and run and jam guys all over the field. Now they made it pretty much five yards. Then you have to let the receiver go. Scoring goes up. Uh, now, with some of the things that we're doing when it comes to tackling, like some of that is health and safety, but it's also to open up the middle of the field to encourage more passing. You've heard Belichick and other guys talk about the rules have made it where you should pass because pass, passing leads to more points. The thing about baseball, um, you're talking about a sport that is kind of losing popularity. Yes. And some of that is because there's not enough scoring. You want to see people score. You want to pop up the game. You like to see games 9-8, um, maybe even 13-11 to increase interest. These pitcher duels, 1-0 games, not a lot of excitement. Hard to keep people watching for three hours when you don't see people cross the plate. Yeah, but it's like in basketball, though, like you wouldn't tell, you know, if LeBron James struggles going left, you wouldn't tell teams they can't, you know, <laughs> shade off far over on the right. I mean, you make the football comparison, but, you know, in football, it's not like they would say, all right, you can, you can only play one guy on the left side of the field. That's it at all times. Like you cannot, uh, you know, move two guys over there. I mean, how these guys are supposed to be the best players at their in their sport. And because they can't hit the ball opposite field, we're talking about changing, fundamentally changing a rule of the game to where guys can be positioned. If you want to have seven guys on second base, you should be allowed <laughs> to have seven guys standing on second base. I mean, every game has its tweaks. Like in basketball, the illegal defense and all the other stuff, uh, no hand checking, people can't move. You should be stronger. They're trying to create opportunities to score more points. Right now, baseball is becoming boring because either they hit home runs or they strike out. You can't even play small ball anymore. You can't move people around. You can't steal bases. You can't do all this stuff because you can't be, get people on base. Well, no, I mean uh, the analytics are killing the you're game. Right. Analytics, <laughs> the analytics are killing the game. The the bigger thing killing the game though is no personality. Like how many times in football or in basketball do guys make big plays and have celebrations? Guy makes a first down catch. It's arm out first down sign. Carmelo Anthony knocks down a three pointer. It's three oh, fingers to the yeah. side of his head. These are basic fundamental plays they're the equivalent of hitting singles in baseball yet when baseball players hit home runs if they don't go dead sprint to first base and around they run the risk of getting plunked every baseball player should have a pedro serrano like celebrations like you should be able to go you know two hands out running down to first base i want to see every player have a signature celebration after they hit a home run and do it Without fear of repercussion. I, I forget who the guy was. Maybe one of you guys can remind me. Who was the guy? I think it was an Oaklander recently, last couple of weeks, that somebody asked them about a bat flip or how he ran to first base. He's like, I mean, I could, I could lie to you and say I won't do it again, but I'm going to. Like, I'm going to keep doing it this way. I love that guy. Whoever that guy is, you well, are my new favorite baseball player. It should be. The, the one thing I will say about baseball, and football had to adopt some of this when they let these celebrations, the end zone celebrations back, because the game should be fun. In baseball, when you watch the World Baseball Classic with all the guys from all the countries representing, it's a different kind of game than the game that you watch in MLB. Mm-hmm. The celebrations or whatever, some of that is part of your culture, where you're from. You should allow guys to celebrate, but I'm telling you, all these unwritten rules that I can't keep up with, yeah. I, I would like a, a handbook of unwritten rules so I can figure it Write out. Write the but unwritten rules, yeah. You can't, you can't bat flip. You, you can't run too slow. You can't run too fast. Uh, you can't look. You, you can't fist pump. A lot of little, little rules, like baseball should be fun. I don't mind all this stuff. To me, I was a kid that grew up admiring 
Ricky Henderson. I wanted to do all that. Had four batting gloves, two in my back pocket, two on. Like, that's how I grew up playing. I want to see that. To what, me, What was Ricky funny. Henderson's speech? What was it like? I'd like to thank God for my pop, for my speed. It was like, it was one of those, like... Uh, like I am the, now the greatest of I, all time. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. I'm with you. Like, give me that flavor. Uh, Rob, what was his name? What was the guy's name there? Mark... Uh, Mark Canha. Mark Canha, yeah. The guy. Who's he play for? The A's. The A's, that's right. He, who said... What, what, he apologized, then he rescinded it. He said, if you're offended by that, I don't care. Yeah, like, screw, like, shut up. If you're if you're offended by the fact that I... And did he bat flip, or did he run the bases differently? How did he... What, it, it was, was a bat flip. It was a bat flip. Most upset like, about. God. You know, all it takes... All it takes is a star player in their sport. Like, whoever the leader of the locker room is, going to their guys and saying, look, if somebody backflips against us, don't you dare bleep and hit him. Like, don't you hit him. Go strike him out next time. Stop sucking at your job and go out there and strike the guy out. Well, I think you're really talking about one set of position players. Pitchers, very sensitive. Very, very sensitive. But they do it, Bucky. They do it more than anybody. Who was, I'm asking you guys to keep looking stuff up for me. Who was the Tigers guy that did like the arrow pull? Like, you remember that guy who was like the the Tigers closer? Yes. Who like, when he got a strikeout, was like, Bam! <laughs> like, he did that crap, too. I like all of it. Um, Fernando Rodney. There we go. That was his name. It was Bautista in the in the playoffs. Joey Bats, yeah. Joey Bats. Hey, I loved it. I loved it. I couldn't, I couldn't stop watching the highlights. He got I punched in the his, face for that, like, basically. He, he like I mean, he has, he has to learn. He has to keep his hands up. Oh, he, yeah. Protect yourself at all times. Protect yourself at all times. Protect yourself at all times. But come on, baseball. This is simple. These are easy things to establish. Like, you want... Uh, a generation, and look, people, fewer and fewer people. We talk a little bit off the air about like how many, like you know, how many people are playing football anymore? How many people are playing different sports? Fewer and fewer people are playing baseball at the level probably you or I did. I mean, yes. I was playing stickball when I was a young kid. I played wiffle ball outside. I played baseball until I was fifteen years old, as far as I could take it, basically in Babe Ruth League baseball. Uh, I don't think there is many kids doing that anymore. I, I think basketball has taken over. Basketball think- has taken over everything, and basketball has increasingly become. A year-round sport. Yes, basketball coaches in high school will say, "Man, if your kid hasn't started playing from five, six years old, AAU and on, he's going to be behind." And so it's kind of squeezing and infringing on some of the other sports. And so those other sports have to be dynamic and fun to keep the youth participation up. How do you get youth participation up in baseball? I want to hear from you. Eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine eight seven seven nine nine on Fox. Do you agree with me? that there should be a signature home run trot and or bat flip. Give me more Pedro Serrano in baseball. Should that happen in baseball? Or are they fine just going out around being the old man's game and having the oldest demographic of any of the four major sports? 877-996-6369, on Fox. Billy King, the former general manager of the Nets and the Sixers, he's going to join us in a couple of minutes. But first, let's check in with David Gascon, see what's going on out there. What's up, David? Man, I'd be nice with a home run shot to do a little Hulk Hogan. Just kind of like I'm going to walk around the studio during Pedro Serrano right now. <laughs> you got Joe Boo in your back pocket, right? <laughs> I can't hear you, <laughs> guys. In Major League Baseball, there's six games that are just underway. Aaron Hicks' his 17th home run of the season was a two-run shot for the Pinstripes. They lead the Kansas City Royals two nothing. Orioles with a two-run homer from Chris Davis, his 12th of the season. On top of the Rays, three zip there. Twins and Red Sox just underway in that one. No score just yet. Boston did place Rafael Devers, the third base, on the 10-day deal today with a left hamstring strain. Dodgers in about five minutes from now. They'll be in Atlanta looking for a four-game sweep of the Braves. Ross stripping on the bunt for Los Angeles. Eight and two so far this season with a 243 ERA. In the National Football League, Buccaneers D-tackle Vita Vea left practice today with on a cart. 
with a calf string, but it does not look to be severe. Panthers right tackle Daryl Williams suffered a dislocated kneecap and MCL tear yesterday during practice. He could be done for the season. Pittsburgh Steelers left guard Ramon Foster out four to six weeks, a hyper extended knee. Is he around the bases yet? Is he I, around? On- I've wrapped the bases, right, yes. Nice. I'm good. All right, fair enough. Right. Back to you guys. <laughs> it's Fox Sports Radio. Chris Maddox and Buggy Brooks. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. It's easy to save 15% or more on car insurance with Geico. Go to geico.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. So the NBA season is long since over. The NBA offseason is in terms of free agent signings, well, it's winding down as uh, as well. But certainly basketball is still in the mix. And USA Basketball training camp opening up. Kevin Durant clapping back once again at some of his critics. Uh, we'll talk more about that. Bring in Billy King, the former general manager of the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, I was going to ask Billy Bucky about what he was, what his uh, winning shot celebration was like as a player. But when you go to Billy King's Wikipedia page to find out what kind of player he is, it says he was known primarily for his tough defense. That basically <laughs> means you were terrible. Like that that basically means you couldn't play. Is that is that fair, Billy? Am I getting that accurately? Uh, it's knowing your role. Knowing <laughs> yeah, your role. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, when you play, and you know, I get to Duke and you realize, okay, Johnny Dawkins, he can score, Mark Allery, Danny Ferry. I said, okay, if I want to get on the court, I got to do something different, and so defense was my thing. Yeah. So, oh, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's good. <laughs> and that's the problem. Sometimes guys don't understand their role, and they they figure, hey, I'm going to prove I can score, and and they you know they don't get to play because they they can't score. Yeah. You say tomato, I say tomato. All right. Well, you, I, <laughs> I say I say not good. You say know your role. All right. We'll, we'll, we'll go. We'll go with that one. Uh, Billy, you have been a general manager in this Twitter age, and, and now it seems particularly in the case of Kevin Durant, but he's not alone with this stuff. I mean, guys getting in trouble for you know, social media, burner accounts, um, you know, clapping back as much as Kevin Durant uh, ultimately does. As a GM, is it, do you need to have like policies on stuff like this? Do you have conversations with players about stuff like this as a relatively new phenomena? How do you handle it? Well, one, every year, uh, especially towards the end of Philadelphia, and every year in Brooklyn, we brought in a, a media consultant. And she showed different tweets the players put up and how they got in trouble. And she tries to talk to them about it and try to explain when you're tweeting, it's just like talking to the media if you're on TV or in the newspaper. And so it's in print. So you try to give them their freedom, their ability to speak, but also try to let them understand there's a responsibility that comes along with it. You know, I followed every one of our players on Twitter and Instagram. If I saw something I thought was not of you know, the team's liking or the player's best interest, I would you know, reach out to them and say, you probably want to take that down. So we'd have discussions about it. But I think from an organizational standpoint, you can't put your, your head in the sand and say, okay, I'm not going to follow it. I think you, you've got to follow it and you've got to be in constant communication with them. You have coached and managed so many great players uh, in your executive and coaching career. Uh, Kevin Durant is as good a player as there is in today's NBA, yet he seems to be among, if not the most sensitive player in the NBA. How do you explain why Kevin Durant is you know, seemingly kind of so zeroed in on what everybody is kind of saying about him? Well, I think he's aware of what's going on out there. Some guys don't care and don't want to read it. Uh, but I think, you know, if, when I had Allen in Philadelphia, you know, the Twitter phase wasn't as big. I don't even know if it was around then, thank God. But he would read the newspaper, and in the morning I would – see something and i'd say okay i'm going to, to i'm going to hear from him today and, <laughs> and 
you know, especially towards the end with him and Larry, you know, if Larry said something, I knew I was got to do with Alan. And if Alan said something, I knew I was got to do with Larry. So, I, you know, they both, especially Alan, he would read the newspaper. And there was a particular time where Larry said something, and I knew, okay, this is going to be explosive with Alan today. And he didn't say anything about it until he was driving home. He was reading the paper on the way home. And he called me and came back <laughs> to discuss it. And it was a heated <laughs> discussion. So, so I, I just think that with this age, you – see players' reactions a lot quicker because of Twitter. Um, and I think everything we do, it's, you know, it starts from the, the top. You know, the, the president tweets about everything, and whether right or wrong, and people react to it. And you know, I think presidents, basketball players, football players, they all have these ideas and these comments, but you didn't get them as instant. And I think it's not as he's being overly sensitive. I think it's just that he, he lets you know what he's thinking. Um, and some guys don't. And I'm sure there's other players out there to do that you don't follow that you know people don't care about. Give, give me your best Allen v. Larry Brown story. Oh my gosh, you're going to take me through through all of it. Um, <laughs> it's you know the, probably the, the, the best one was uh, oh man I can't I, well I, I got to be careful what I <laughs> and going through it because you don't want to put things out there but. But I, I just think there was one time, it was, I remember in practice, and Allen was, you know, he was known for stealing the basketball. And at practice, Allen went for a steal and didn't get it. And Larry goes, that's a bad, you can't gamble. Don't go for that. It's bad. And Allen goes, well, why is it bad? He goes, because your man got a shot. He goes, well, when is it good? Is if you get it. <laughs> so they went back and forth, and Allen, Larry tried to explain, you can't gamble and go for steals because if you don't get it, it's a bad steal. Allen goes, so how do you go for it if you don't get it? So it was it was a constant battle <laughs> don't practice. Where like they were just to, it's like, yeah, I was like, well, if I get it, it's a good steal. And Larry goes, yeah, but if you don't get it, it's a bad steal. So they were going back and forth, and neither one of them was going to relinquish their, their point. But, um, you know, there was numerous those situations where it happened and things happened. Uh, but the one thing I think about, and I think Alan realizes that Larry pushed him to be great. And I think Larry realized Alan pushed him to be a better coach because – they both were so driven with their points and their beliefs, and they both wanted to win so bad that sometimes in their reasoning and wanting to win, they would say things or do things that would be detrimental to them as well as the team. But the, the same point was they wanted to win. Um, you know, I remember Alan one time told me, Billy, he goes, I realize, you know, I shoot a lot. He goes, I take my shots. He goes, but sometimes I just look at it and say, we need a bucket, and the odds are if I shoot it's much better than somebody else, and that's no disrespect <laughs> to them. He just says, I just feel like we need a bucket, and my bad shot's better than their good shot. That's funny. Um, it's funny that you talk about disrespect because coming out of Toronto, DeMar DeRozan was recently traded, and he felt like all the loyalty he showed, he should have been showing a little more respect, a heads up. As a general manager, do you feel obligated to talk to your star player when he's on the block? How does that relationship work? Well, I, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a dicey one uh, because I know if, if um, Masai was going to be in talking to Barnes, look, I may try to trade you, he was going to be hurt then. And so he probably tried to be very delicate, trying to say, I'm not sure, and this came about, and he probably didn't want to call him in case it didn't come about because he's going to have a player come back this, this hurt and disappointed. It's a business. Uh, players leave organizations like Durant, LeBron. Players get traded, and everybody understands that. And you, everybody gives their loyalty. But at the end of the day, it's Masai's job to do what he thinks is best for Toronto, and DeRozan's job to do what he 
think it's best for him and his family. When he chose to stay, he thought that was best for him. But if he had left and went somewhere else when he had a chance as a free agent, you know, people you know, would have been up in arms in Toronto. So it's it's one where when I I remember Brook Lopez when I was there, he was on the block quite a bit and it was very it was out there a lot with Dwight Howard. And I sat down with Brooke and I said, Brooke, look, don't listen to anything's out there. You know, obviously, you know, we have had discussions with Dwight Howard. I said, but if there's a deal that's going to happen, I will come to you first. You'll hear from me. that So anything you hear out there, rumors or deals put together, don't believe them until you hear from me. And I said, look, a lot of places, they're going to throw your name a lot of places. I said, but if you don't hear from me, there's no deal happening, and there's you know so. Or if I come to you and say this is getting pretty close, you know, it may happen. But understand that you know. And I said, I'm only trading like Dwight Howard at that point. Brooke is is better in your your career, and I said so. That's you know why I'd only be trading. Otherwise, if there's rumors, don't listen to them. But I will come to you if something's close. How and hard? I think it? He re- oh, sorry. I'm sorry. No, I, I think he respected me. You know, and the, the one thing is, I you know, throughout Brook since he, I've left and he's gone to L.A., I've been communicating with him and congratulating him, saying you know, when things look tough, keep your head head up. And so um, I, I guess you know, being honest and direct with him, you know, has allowed us to have an open, uh, still a good friendship to this day. How hard is that though, as a general manager? Because you know, fans sometimes see it as more of a dictatorship. The team kind of runs the players. And that, and your experience is it more of a cooperation when you have your star players or your good players kind of working together to kind of reach the common goal, or is it simply business and you always try and do what's in the best interest of the squad? Well, I think you got to almost look at it, it's a business, but I think you got to try to look at it as a family. And the, the 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 toughest thing that I think people forget, I think fans, media, and everybody, when rumors out there whether they're true or not. It not only affects the player, it affects his wife or his mother or his kids because they're they're hearing that. And so I was always conscious. I really became aware when I was trading Billy Owens here in Philadelphia, and I made a phone call to his house to let him know he was, he was traded. And his wife answered the phone. I said, is Billy there? And she asked who it was. I told her, and she said, are we traded? And so I said, is Billy there? And she asked, are we traded? And, you know, and I told her, and then she gave him the phone. And that's when you realize the impact it has because now the kids have to move school. Um, you know, the wife's got to uproot and find a new place to live. So that's the most difficult thing is it's, you know, it, it affects not just that player, but it affects his whole family. Um, and, and, and that, but it, at the end of the day, if you look at it, Kevin Durant did a one and one in Golden State. So he has option. So he's still controlling it there. LeBron did that throughout his time in Cleveland. So has a long term in LA. So, Players, some players have that ability to control it, and some don't. But um, end of the day, uh, some guys I would tell their agents, you know, on the fifteenth and the thirtieth, that check will come every day. When it doesn't come, then give me a call. Billy, got about thirty seconds left. But uh, if you were running the Houston Rockets as Daryl Morey is right now, given everything you know, would you sign Carmelo Anthony? I like Carmelo. I'd have to have a long conversation with him, understanding. And I think for the way they play, his best position now is a four, the way they like to space the floor. Um, and I saw how he adapted in Oklahoma City, um, but I would have a long conversation with him, understanding that, you know, there's a pecking order. It's going to be Harden, Chris Paul, and you may fall in the third category. you got to understand that this point where you're winning is more important. And if the answers came about right, yes. And so there's certain nights you may not play as many minutes. And if he's willing to accept that and buy off on it, and I would go to Chris and James and say, 
this is what I told him. You guys need to hold him accountable later in the year. If everybody's on the same page, yes, I would sign him because I think he's still good enough to help him win. Hey, Billy, always great to talk to you, and uh, congratulations again on being a guy known primarily for your tough defense in your time. Thank you. Well, at- I, I really want to talk football. I mean, I was, <laughs> training camp's open, and you just went all basketball. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't. You're, you're here for your, your, your basketball acting. We don't, we don't need to yeah, hear your football hot takes. I'm, I'm going to the Eagles uh, practice uh, next week. Why, so is there a Duke player to- there? Is there a Duke player on the team? Is that why you're No, 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 no. Man, Howie Roseman. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> hey, Billy, thanks for joining us, man. We appreciate all it. All right, take care. All Bye. right. Billy King, the former general manager, Sixers. Uh, and the Nets joining us here on Fox Sports Radio. A lot more to get to. I do want to talk to Carmelo. Talk about Carmelo Anthony. Earmark for the Rockets. Is that the right move for Houston? We'll do that next. Uh, Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks. It's Fox Sports Radio. Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks. Great news. There's a quick way you could save money. Switch to Geico. Go to geico.com. In 15 minutes, you could save 15% or more on car insurance. So, Bucky, if you're a uh, regular Fox Sports Radio listener, you probably listen to the Dan Patrick Show. That's every week, 9 o'clock Eastern, 6 Pacific. Uh, you can also watch that show on Audience Network, on DirecTV, NBC Sports Network. If you're watching tomorrow morning, you will get to see me on live TV. Getting, oh, yeah, I've seen you. Getting my TV head shaved. Thing. Oh. Yes. On Ooh. getting my head shaved. No, I wasn't going to say. I don't like, give promos like all really. the way down? Uh, buzz cut. Like a, a solid buzz cut tomorrow. On TV. I lost a bet. Uh, to Dan, I bet we bet Cavs Celtics. Oh uh, yeah, I mean you were so. I mean you were really all in. I was all in. <laughs> I mean it's really if you're in this business I mean, I, though, like like there yeah. are, there are two forms. Like you know we we sit here and and, and we do analyst stuff too. Like uh-huh. you know I'll, I'll ta- tell you what I hear from coaches and players. But if you're writing columns and you're like having an opinion, you might as well go all in. You gotta like, go you know, all I mean, in. Don't hedge your bet. Like you know like oh the Celtics could win, but maybe the Cavs could win too. No, Celtics were gonna win, and they didn't. And now my hair is gonna go. Oh. Man, that's... I'm a little anxious about that. My father's bald, and he said to me, he's like, it's not going to grow back. <laughs> he's, like, he's, like, he's like, you're done. He's like, it's, it's over. You have to be careful. You have to be careful. I'm wow. a little afraid. Like, Are you familiar with the uh, the the Bible story, Samson and Delilah there? Yeah, are you going to lose all your power? I'm going to lose. Like, I'll lose my power of debate, writing. I'll, <laughs> Just I'll sit everything. there and be like. Oh. Are you going on vacation? Are you going immediately well, on vacation? Well, here's what I'm doing. That? I'm not doing as much TV as, <laughs> as I was. I am taking vacation end of August. And I've informed various outlets that I'll be unavailable to be, uh, <laughs> to be on. Uh, I mean, on how, well, how tied are you to your hair? I'm like, very tied to my hair. Yes, I, I consider. That's my why hair. you went. That's why you went bold. You were, that means you really, you really were all in on the Cavs. Like this uh, is a done deal. Yes, I was. I was Celtics win. I was all in on that. I believed fully. I mean, the counter of the bet was I was going to be able to host the Dan Patrick Show with Dan in the back row. So I could send him for coffee. I could um, make him come up with poll questions. I could just be as... I mean, that would have been fun. And look, in, in like he's this is a, a major step for me. I would have been equally as big a jackass to him. Like I would oh, have yeah. been, been, been hurtful yes. to the point. Like, yes. go get me lunch. Go get me breakfast. Go get me coffee. Um, answer the phones. <laughs> um, you know, move my car around. Like, I would have been a bit of jerk. But now uh, the, the time has come to pay the piper. So... Wow. 9 a.m. tomorrow. So, ooh, man, that's that's a big deal. So they're going to take the, the electric clippers out. Well, I'm bringing my own barber. Oh, you bring your own yes. guy? Oh, I'm not trusting any of those guys. Are you kidding me? Oh, so it's not like a no. training camp haircut. Oh, no, 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 no. Oh, see, in training camp, training camp, we, you know, because for me, if if I had you, you're yeah. the rookie coming yeah. in, I'm going to go right to the middle. Zip. Yeah, sure. I'd be, 20, I would I'd be 21 you. years old and okay with it at that yeah. point. And then <laughs> I would ask you, like, how do you want me to finish it up? But now, oh, you're going to have your own guy. What's you're- the worst way to finish up a rookie haircut? What's, like, the most embarrassing way? 
I mean, I'm assuming like drawing like male genitalia in the back of his head might be. I mean, that's a lot. You have to be a skilled barber to do it. But like, <laughs> yeah, you, you have to go. It. You have to go right down the middle like a helmet stripe first, <laughs> because once you go down the middle, once you go down the middle, he has to kind of consent to like, okay, it's already bad. Now yeah. what? And then you get to kind of play around with it. You kind of try different techniques. Like what? What I want to do around the edges? <laughs> do I want to leave a little rat tail in the corner? Like all the. All the fun stuff. See, here's the problem. Like, what Dan has told me he wants to do is to do it maybe like that cut part of my hair during one segment of the show and let me stew in it for oh. a little while and then <laughs> cut the other part at the rest of it. So maybe maybe he will go ask my guy to go down the middle. The reason I'm bringing my guy in, I'm like, I'm like, listen, Ronnie, you need to have a, a number four clipper. Like, you need to have the number four there because I need like a month, month and a half. I need this bad boy back. I need like to have... <laughs> No, I mean, they're not gonna let you take it down to like a what we call like a little boy brush cut. No, like no, it's a little boy. No, it, it's it's a whiffle. You know, it's it's a whiffle cut. No, there. I think we need like a. It's a, a white guy whiffle. No, what it like, is. like like Full Metal Jacket. No, no, like we gotta go no, all the way down. No Full Metal Jacket. <laughs> Dude, that'd be that'd be Christmas by the time I get my hair back at that point, and that would be about as humiliating as you possibly get. So tune in tomorrow morning, Audience Network Channel Two Thirty Nine Direct TV, and of course here on Fox Sports Radio. More to come here. On Fox Sports Radio. Hour 3, Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Yahoo Sports, Bucky Brooks from the NFL Network. We're joining you here, coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. Visit geico.com for a free rate quote today. We'll bounce around a little bit, talked a lot about the NFL training camps. Patriots, we'll get back to that, some drama Still happening in New England. Des Bryant, still a free agent. Uh, the uh, Cleveland Browns perhaps circling him. Uh, some members, at least one member of the Pittsburgh Steelers, wants him to come in. Where will Des Bryant, the 29-year-old wide receiver, where will he land? I do want to talk about the Cowboys anthem policy. Jerry Jones, uh, he has uh, made his position clear on all this. Malcolm Jenkins, he's made his position clear uh, as well. Kevin Durant. Well, his position is always clear. He's always on social media, clapping back on stuff. Is that a good thing uh, for KD to constantly be doing that? But I want to begin going back to New England and, and talking about Tom Brady for a minute here. Tom Brady, of course, uh, the reigning, defending, best player in football. I mean, still 41 years old. He's awesome on, on every possible level. Uh, arguably the reason, that the, the only reason the Patriots are not a bottom-feeding type of team. We talked about the quote that was in Bleacher Report from the scout that said the Patriots would lose to the Browns without Tom Brady. And you agree with that, right? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, this would not be a perennial playoff contender without Tom Brady. Tom Brady kind of makes it go. He masks a lot of their deficiencies and flaws from their offensive line to maybe only one big time playmaker in the passing game, which is Rob Gronkowski Mm -hmm. to really covering up a defense that has really struggled, um, holding teams down. Tom Brady is the guy that kind of keeps it all together. Without him, I think you would say this team is probably a 4-12, 5-11 squad. All right, so that's the good of Tom Brady. The bad of Tom Brady is the association he has with that snake oil salesman, Alex Guerrero, <laughs> uh, who, if you are unfamiliar with his previous work, was the guy selling a product called Supreme Greens, which was billed as a cure-all for ter- little diseases like cancer and things like that. The uh, the government got to him. Uh, recently, he was uh, you know shilling some water out there that would apparently be good for treatment of concussions and take care of them. Neuro water, I believe, was the name <laughs> of uh, his, his drink there. Uh, that was immediately shut down as well by the government. But look, give Alex Guerrero credit. He has been a uh, benefit to Tom Brady's career. Brady credits him, uh, praises him effusively 
when it comes to uh, his longevity. Other players, as Bucky spoke about earlier on the show, have also sworn by him. A guy, though, that works with him is Julian Edelman. And Julian Edelman was recently popped by the NFL uh, for a banned substance. And this has found its way back uh, to Alex Guerrero. And Alex Guerrero has denied that he had anything to do with the subs that Julian Edelman took that got him this four-game suspension. But a natural question for Tom Brady is about this, is about the connection between Alex Guerrero and Julian Edelman and the positive test. And a reporter in Boston asked Brady that very same question. When Julian uh, tested positive, a lot of people connected it to Alex Guerrero. Just what's your reaction to that? Do you think it's fair? I have no comments. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. It's not ridiculous. Look, say what you want, but it's not ridiculous. It, it, Alec Guerrero could be innocent. I know nothing about Julian Edelman's positive test. It, Julian Edelman could have gone to GNC and took the wrong powder. That's fine. It happens. Whatever. But Alex Guerrero has a history of this. Alex Guerrero has been, I'll use that phrase, has been a horrifying human being. You know, selling that stuff is as bad to me as it gets. Giving somebody hope, false hope, about curing a disease with the equivalent of naked green juice, to me is <laughs> is is just a, 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 the lowest form of pond scum out there. So he has been that type of person. But Bucky, whether or not he did it or not, I don't think it's a ridiculous question to go there and ask if Brady had any kind of you know trepidation. Like, my follow would be, did you talk to Alex Guerrero about some of the stuff that you were taking? I mean, imagine if Tom Brady ever got caught using PEDs or ever got busted for a banned substance. It wouldn't just be 41-year-old Tom Brady busted. It would be like, oh, I know why 39-year-old yes. Tom was so yes. good. I know why 40-year-old Tom was so good. He would have to live that down forever. He would have to live it down. I do believe there's a natural connection that um, you can try and make when you look at a player and his personal trainer. And if that personal trainer has some shadiness in his background and the player gets popped for PEDs, I do believe it's a valid question that a media member can ask Tom Brady since he has been probably the biggest endorser of Alex Guerrero. I don't understand why he necessarily got upset. He could have been like, no, I don't think the guy's done it. They move, they move on. Um, I, I think it's an interesting time up in New England. Uh, everyone appears to be a little edgy. Um, it's kind of a team against the, the media world. Yeah. Um, not really. But it's so dumb. But don't insight. you think it's like, look, I understand, like, and, and and we're in a media proliferation age where everybody thinks they're a reporter, yeah. and everybody thinks yes. they're a journalist, and everybody thinks they have the right to commentate. Look, I tell whenever I go back to like Boston College or or speak to journalism classes, the first thing I say to kids is like, don't ever write your opinion. Don't write your opinion until you're thirty. Nobody cares. Like I, I'm still at a point when I've been doing this for like eighteen years. I'm still not sure anybody cares about my opinion about stuff. But at least I have like the backdrop and the foundation of having been a reporter for a long time. Be a reporter first. Write those you know, 52nd, 53rd man stories. Establish some credibility. Nowadays, everybody wants to be Bill Simmons. Everybody wants to like <laughs> yes. write these like 5,000-word takeout pieces <laughs> about why they you think... You don't want to like, read 5,000 words? No, but from, from like, you know, some 22-year-old saying you know, why Tom Brady is the GOAT or why Tom Brady sucks. Like the, this, is, this is part of the problem. But I'm not sure that... And we'll get to the, the, the Malcolm uh, Butler stuff. But I'm not sure anything that's being asked of the Patriots nowadays is out of bounds or is egregious in any way. No, I think this is a real simple question. I mean, he could have given an easy answer to it. He kind of stormed off. I do believe there's a natural tie that you can make. 
If anybody is working with a personal trainer and that player gets popped for PEDs, naturally the first person that you talk about is a personal trainer. Yeah. I mean, that's just a part of it because they're trying to help them achieve or perform at a higher level than they previously had. They obviously are working with them in workouts. Normally, those guys also suggest supplements and a nutrition plan and all those those other things. Anyone around sports knows that there's an interconnectivity between all of those aspects. Mm-hmm. All right, so just for, for quick context here on who Alex Guerrero is, uh, Boston Magazine published this a few years back. Uh, he was sued by the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, 2004, for his role as a pitchman for the fraudulent cancer cure Supreme Greens. In this infomercial, Bucky, uh, he said the supplement was a blend of 39 ingredients, and he cited a false study that said 192 of 200 terminally ill patients who tried the product had survived. Scumbag. Uh, eight years later, the FTC ordered Guerrero to shut down the production of NeuroSafe, a phony panacea for concussions and head trauma. Brady and Wes Welker at that time endorsed that product. I'm sorry, but if you do stuff like this, I don't care how good a massage you give or how well you stretch out the muscles, you are a terrible human being for doing stuff like this because you know that there are so many gullible people out there that are out like, oh my God, I don't have to go for like you know radiation treatment. I can drink like organic juice and I'll be fine. There are people out there that'll buy that and believe that. And Alex Guerrero knows full well, because he's not an idiot, he knows full well that what he's pitching is not actually a cure. Yeah, I mean, that's not the best look. If he's pitching something that the government has shut down because it's not true, it's, it's kind of selling on the false pretenses, false statements. Yeah, I mean, it kind of speaks a little bit to his character. However, if I keep it strictly to what he is really good at, which is helping guys play a long time through various techniques, TJ Hushmanzada, mm-hmm. Willie McGinnis, and others swear by him as a trainer. I mean, you have to go with that, but I do believe you can make that connection simply based on Julian Edelman worked with him. Julian Edelman gets popped for PEDs. One of the questions you have to make, did his trainer have anything to do with him testing positive? Yeah, and look, I don't think it's an unfair question either to put to Tom Brady because Tom Brady has become inextricably linked with Alex Guerrero, right? I mean, they yes. are basically, when Tom, whenever Tom Brady's career like is over, partners. Yeah, yeah, he and Guerrero are going to run that TB12 clinic probably across the world. I mean, we, we're now, we've got a glimpse at what post-playing career Brady is going to be like. I'm not sure he's going to be, uh, I don't think he's going to be a coach. Uh, maybe he becomes an Elway-like owner in some capacity or, or mm-hmm. Marino in, in, in some capacity. But uh, I think this, you know, we could see TB12 clinics popping up all over the country. And if they do... He is, he is going to become synonymous with Alex Guerrero. And that question wasn't posed in an interrogatory way. It was like, what's your reaction to the linking of Alex Guerrero to Julian Edelman? And look, I, I don't think Edelman's even answered it all that well, as, as really articulated where, you know, where the stuff came from. You know what I miss, Bucky? I miss the days. I miss Rodney Harrison. Remember when Rodney <laughs> Harrison got popped for HGH? He was like, yeah, you know, I did it. I, I, had to, I mean, crap, I had to recover, man. Like, I just had a torn, I think it was an ACL. Like, I had to recover, man. If you did it, cop to it. And you know most people move on. And football is one of the sports where it's forgiven. Like no one ever says anything about football players that have been popped for PEDs. It doesn't hang over their legacy forever, like in baseball or other sports. Um, if you're trying to gain an edge, you get popped doing it. You serve your four game suspension. You come back, all is forgotten. That's typically how it operates in the NFL. And even and even baseball too. Like remember when Andy Pettit like uh, got popped, but he copped and he said he's like, yeah, you know, I did it, but people forgot about it. 
Like, it's the guys that deny it. It's the Jason Giambis for years, the Maguires, the Sosas, the Barry Bonds, the Clemens, the guys that swear they didn't do it despite the mountain of evidence that um, that is stacked up against him. That's the stuff that, that you don't recover from. Just admit to it. Say, like, yeah, you know, he, he shot me in the ass with a needle or something. Like, yeah, great. Like, it was, it, it, it worked out. Like, all right, yeah. <laughs> worked out for me. That's the thing with baseball, too. Like, baseball's crazy. Like, they're, they're willing to take these chances because you don't have to give the money back in baseball. Yep. Like, you signed the $120 million contract. It's all good. You're good. You're, you're, all done. You're, you're good there. Cash it. Oh, man. But the Patriots, um, you know, look, they, they get past all this. Um, and, and, but the question is, like, how, you know, you, you mentioned they're like, what, 4-12, and 5-11 and 11 if Brady's Just not there. Just on the strength of their roster. Yeah. Win game. Their coaches have shown that they can win games without them. They win, but they went 11-5 with Matt Castle, their quarterback. But is Brady good enough to take that team back to the Super Bowl? Is the AFC so weak that the Patriots, with a 4-12 and type roster that you said, and Tom Brady, get back to the Super Bowl? They can. They absolutely can because you put them in a tournament, that gives them a shot. Unlike some teams that are hoping to get there, they know exactly what it takes to get there. And then when you have the best quarterback in football, it ups the ante. It increases the odds of being able to get it done. He is comfortable in those tense games in the postseason. That is significant because the margin of error in the playoffs is so slim mm-hmm. that you have to kind of get comfortable playing in those pressure games where every play matters. We say that all the time, but in the playoffs, every little thing matters, and it ultimately determines the winner or loser of the game. There was um, a clear power struggle between Brady and Belichick over the last years. I mean, exemplified by the fact that Brady, who normally shows up at every OTA, who is the ultimate team player there, wasn't there for all that, but I would imagine Brady has a ton of power now. I mean, who's his backup quarterback? It's Brian Hoyer, and I think there's like a seventh-round draft pick there that they're you know billing as third string. Like, he now is, with no Garoppolo there, he is now in full control. He has all the juice. Before, it was a little, uh, could they trade Brady, keep Garoppolo? Now they don't have a viable option behind him. He has to be the guy. I think that fits what he wants at this stage. Like, mm-hmm. he, he wants to be the guy. Like, I think that's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, we'll talk more about the about the Patriots, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, of course, they've got their camp open as well as Jason Garrett on the hot seat down there. Jerry Jones says no, but there's something uh, more to that story. Des Bryant, he is without a job uh, at this moment. Where would Des Bryant help the most? Seems like some members of the Pittsburgh Steelers want to see him down there. Plus, we'll talk a little NBA. Carmelo Anthony set to become a Rocket. Is that a good idea for the Houston Rockets to bring on Carmelo Anthony. We'll do all that more next. Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks here on Fox Sports Radio. It's Fox Sports Radio. Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks. We're coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studios. Jimmy Garoppolo was in the news last week for his dating life. By the way, I had nothing, no problem with Jimmy doing any of that stuff. Good for you, Jimmy. <laughs> do your thing, Jimmy. Every man in the world would do what you were doing if they had the opportunity. Every 26-year-old, if there's a porn star you're attracted to that <laughs> wanted to go out to dinner with you and whatever else, uh, Especially, they would do it. Like, she's 41. So if, if we do the numbers, Jimmy was probably in his teenage years. Yep. Maybe so. So I, I, was, maybe talking, did. I was talking to my best friend about this. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's absolutely like a one-upsmanship thing. That's something that you're on the date and you send the selfie. Mm-hmm. Hey, dude. Look who I'm with. hundred percent. A hundred percent. And so I felt like, I felt like even when he looked at paparazzi and he had kind of like the smirk, mm-hmm. 
That's for the boys. Yes. That's for the boys back at home. Of course. You're 26, <laughs> 27. Like you're, you, give me a break. You're single and can do whatever you want. I have a problem. This We've talked about the proliferation of the media out here. I have a problem with the faux outrage from everyone, like the oh, Britt yeah. McHenry's of the world, who are out there like, well, the quarterback should be held to a higher standard. <laughs> he should not date somebody who's legally doing a job that may not be, you know, morally acceptable to some people, but isn't committing any crimes. Right. Like, give me a break. Get off your soapbox, all of you, and shut up. <laughs> like, just shut up. Good for Jimmy Garoppolo. I hope I hope he ta- he dates the entire Vivid collection. <laughs> I hope he dates them all. Like, let's go. Run, go through it, Jimmy. You're out in California. I'm sure they tape up in NorCal. Like, do your thing, man. Do your thing. Uh, it, was, it was it was unbelievable. The reaction, the reaction was unbelievable. The fact that he was in Beverly Hills. Yes. At a nice and he spot. knows. He knows. Like, he's, he, he could have gone to, like, Burger Barn and, like, yeah, hung out there with yeah. a hat on his head. But, but he went to SDK but, and hung out there. But that's why I felt like that was a nod to the homies. <laughs> like, that was, that was, I know my boys are going to see this. I'm going to let them know I'm Jimmy G and I'm in charge. <laughs> he was like a college dude. Like, Check, check out the website. That's who I'm going out with. That's who I'm dating right there. I thought, you know, and, and that was like kind of the salacious story of the week. I thought maybe the more interesting story involving Garoppolo was the report in SI that Belichick last season still texted Garoppolo after games. Like was still, mm-hmm. and that to me, Bucky, just reinforces the fact that Belichick didn't want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. No, he didn't want to <laughs> like, trade him. Like to give him up for a second round pick. Oh. Um, man, like it, it has to be hard for Belichick to identify a quarterback one, groom and develop a quarterback, have that quarterback ready to play at a high level because we would anticipate that if Jimmy Garoppolo could go to San Francisco and do what he was able to do in a short time, imagine what he would do in a system that he grew up in that really understood how he played and how to make him at play at his best. You saw flashes of that in the game and a half he yeah, played I mean, in Brady's absence. I, right, so, so you know that, man, the hardest thing everyone says is to find in the National Football League is a quarterback. And to have one, and you could argue, even argue two, Jacoby Brissett, right there, and to let both of those guys go, yeah, I'm sure Belichick is in his feelings a little bit when it comes to losing his guy. And then to see his guy have tremendous success immediately in San Francisco, it kind of validated Belichick's opinion on Jimmy Garoppolo as a player. And also, it goes back to like the San Francisco deal when San Francisco had Steve Young and Joe Montana. Ultimately, what you would like to do is Jettison the older guy mm-hmm. and just entrust it to the younger guy so it can go forward. Belichick is obviously disappointed he didn't get a chance to see his plan through. You know, we all now know what Jimmy Garoppolo is, right? Based on what we saw in San Francisco, he is a really good quarterback with the potential to be a great quarterback uh, in the NFL. I got to believe that Belichick knew that. I, I got to believe uh, that from years of practice, Belichick knew what he had in Garoppolo. Absolutely. He sensed that. He didn't, I'm sure he wasn't texting Brian Hoyer mm-hmm. and Ryan Mallett no. and some of those other guys I think that he's texting left. anybody else. That, <laughs> right. But Jimmy Garoppolo, out. like, had a special place in his heart. Look, the dude identified him. He found him in the second round. They spent a lot of time developing him. And then to see him step in when he had a chance to step in for Tom Brady, then to go to San Francisco, he knew that he was on the right path. And maybe if Jimmy Garoppolo is still in New England, maybe Belichick coaches another 10 years mm-hmm. because he's guaranteed. Look, we've seen what they've been able to do with a quarter. They own it for the next decade with Jimmy Garoppolo. Now you have to, man, they got to figure out what's the plan after Tom Brady. We don't have a quarterback. We don't believe Brian Hoyer is the future. 
it's having to start all over again. And then you have the interim thing with Josh McDaniels, who seems to be the coach in waiting. A lot of stuff. He lost a battle. He lost a battle with Tom Brady and Robert Kraft. I wonder how much longer Brian, um, Bill Belichick will be in New England as their head coach. I like the narrative about Josh McDaniels that I'm going to show you. I'm going to take you into my world. Like, what head coach hides stuff from assistant coaches anyway? I mean, is that a thing? Like, I, I would think that, you, you know, if you're yeah, a head coach with a loyal lieutenant, you want to show them as much as you can. I, I mean, you would like to think that. You would like to think, as a head coach, the ultimate buy-in is, A, I'm going to give you everything, and I'm going to prepare you to be the head coach when you're ready. All coaches aren't like that. Some mm-hmm. coaches selfishly want to kind of keep you in. I don't know what Belichick's relationship was like with McDaniels and Patricia and some of the other guys that have departed, but he's had weird relations. Like Mangini was never a, a, a more than a well, cordial I mean, if, relationship. If, if you're going, if you're going to tell all the secrets, yeah, we are, we have all the secrets, and then you're going to tell everybody where the bodies are buried. Like that. <laughs> that I mean, that's that's not a good one. But yeah, don't like, betray House I, Lannister. Yeah, I do. I do wonder. Um, what their relationship is like. It hasn't always worked. You go back to college when Muschamp was the coach in waiting for Mac Brown at Texas. Normally the secession plan doesn't work like we would think it would. We'll see how it works in New England with McDaniels being there. I'd love to read a Belichick book when it's all said and done. Just every chapter would be something because you kind of alluded to it. He has been as cold-blooded as any coach slash executive in professional sports. When the second you can't play or the second he can replace you with somebody better, he does that. Now, cutting loose of Tom Brady or trading Tom Brady would have been next-level type of stuff. That would have supercharged everything. But i got to believe, Bucky, he would have done it. If it was just Bill Belichick, he would have said, look, we'll trade Tom Brady to wherever you want to go. We'll we'll work with you on a trade, but it's it's Garoppolo time, and you're out. But but that's the thing. He has been shrewd when it has come to that. Like He doesn't mind getting rid of the year they got rid of Lawyer Malloy, Lawyer yeah. Malloy was like one of the most popular players yep. on the team, was a team leader. They let him go. Drew Bledsoe. Like, I mean, they, they, I mean the same, same thing with Drew. Yeah. Like, look, once Tom Brady emerges, mm-hmm. okay, Drew, yeah. we'll send you, and we, we don't mind sending you within the division. Pro Bowl quarterback, take a hike. You're out. You're not even going to bring in to compete for against Tom Brady. Tom Brady's our guy, and you're out. And yeah, you're, we'll play you twice a year. We don't the, give a damn. We're not, we're not, we're not worried about you remember it. Remember that first game they played against the Patriots that year? They kicked the crap out of oh, New England. Oh, they beat him up. Oh, they beat oh, him they up. Beat him up. Oh, they yeah. beat him up. It was a party. Yeah, it was like, Patriots are done. Buffalo on the rise. Then like they were like, Bill's like four and seven. With yeah, he, 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 he figured it out. Um, I think it goes back to what? Billy King said, Billy King talked about it's a business. You have to make business decisions. A lot of time, coaches and front office people deliberately try not to get close to players so they can move on from them when the skills begin to decline and diminish or they have a better option or offer. Um, I think Belichick has done a great job of being able to kind of separate his heart from his mind when it comes to evaluating players and figuring out who gives me the best opportunity to win if they're not one of those players, they let them go. Yeah, and I mean, nothing about this, about what happened there, makes any sense. I get the Patriots as an organization saying, look, you can't deal uh, Tom Brady. You have to keep Tom Brady. He's playing like the MVP, is the MVP, all that stuff. But to trade Garoppolo for a second-round pick without, like, it just seems like a non-Belichickian move, right? I mean, if you're Belichick, you want to play teams off each other. Play teams in that division off each other. Like, why not call the Arizona Cardinals, who don't have a quarterback there, and say, look, I'm going to get a second from San Francisco. Will you give me two seconds or a second and a third? That just seems like such a, a meager price to pay. And it, it, it lends more credence to the theory that Belichick wanted Garoppolo to land in a safe spot, in a good spot out oh, he there took because care he likes Garoppolo. He took care of him because he took him. He not only sent him to a place outside of the conference, but he sent him to a place – they had a, a quarterback 
whisperer already in place. Mm-hmm. Kyle Shanahan has done a great job with quarterbacks, turned Matt Ryan into an MVP. Yep. Goes on and on. Shoot, he was on the staff that helped Matt Schaub become a two-time Pro Bowler. Yeah. Like, think about that. It's like water out of wine. Right. <laughs> right. Think about that. So, Let's get him down to his, Miami. See his, 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 his ability. Oh, wow. You and Tannehill. <laughs> Sorry. But his ability to really elevate quarterbacks is something. So he put him in the right place. He knows that Jimmy G is in good hands. And we'll continue to see Jimmy G ascend. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what it looks like the second go-round now that people have seen Jimmy Garoppolo and Shanahan's system. Can Garoppolo continue to adjust to the adjustments that D coordinators make for him? But all signs point to the guy being a really, really good quarterback. Plus, what happens if he starts dating Sasha Gray and like <laughs> out there like, you know, Vinny Chase and Entourage? It'd be like an Entourage scene uh, all over again. You make that movie and uh, run it back. I'm a, I'm a Garoppolo fan, though. I mean, as, as someone that, that lives in the Boston area, grew up a Patriots fan, as much as, as you worship what Tom Brady did, Garoppolo's good, man. And if you can get 10-plus years of Garoppolo versus three of Tom Brady, I'd take the 10-plus of Garoppolo. Oh, yeah, you're talking about being great. Like, they've dominated. They haven't vice hold. I mean, they've had a gr- vice grip on the division since 2001. Yeah. How, if you're in I mean, that division, wanna, aren't you embarrassed by that? Like, aren't you, you like be. you can't you can't compete with them in over a decade? Like, you, um, how many quarterbacks? I saw a stat somewhere. It was like 22 quarterbacks have shuffled through that division uh, outside um, of the Patriots. Um, unbelievable. I mean, just unbelievable. Uh, but the Dolphins are the last team that won the division yeah. outside of them. Yeah, they won it with like Chad Pennington. And that was when Brady was out that year that Matt Castle yeah. came in. They, they I mean, took that's up, it. Yeah, unbelievable. All right, 877-996-6369 is the phone number, 877-99-ON-FOX. I do want to talk about Carmelo Anthony in a little bit, plus baseball. Uh, celebrations in baseball. Does baseball need to do some things? We talked about this earlier in the show, about making it more fan-friendly. How about it starts with allowing guys to celebrate home runs without the risk of getting plunked the next time around? We'll talk about that after the break, but first... David Gascon. Tell us what's going on out there, David. Hey, we'll start things off in Major League Baseball, fellas. J.D. Martinez, two for three. Three runs batted in, and Boston's all over Minnesota early on. It's 3 nothing. They get the bases loaded in the bottom of the fourth inning, but with two outs. Meanwhile, Atlanta trying to snap a three-game losing streak and also a potential four-game sweep of the hand of the Dodgers. Atlanta leads 2 nothing right now, bottom of the third. Nick Markakis oh. is one for one with an RBI in that contest. Aaron Hicks has 17 home runs in the season. He's also two for two in the day. Yankees on top of the Royals, end of four in the Bronx. Three zip. Royals five, Rays two. Chris Davis is 12th home run of the season. Scooter Gannett has got a home run, his 17th of the year. Reds on top of the Phillies, three nothing. Mets and Pirates underway, bottom of the third inning. There's no score. White Sox and Blue Jays. Also the same. Off the diamond, a couple things going on. Red Sox have placed third baseman Rafael Devers on the 10-day DL. He's got a left hamstring strain. Astros have placed Jose Altuve, their all-star, on the disabled list for the first time ever in his career. He's got lingering soreness in his right knee. Some National Football League news. Steelers left guard Ramon Foster out four to six weeks with a hyperextended knee. Panthers right tackle Daryl Williams suffered a dislocated kneecap. And also an MCL tear in practice just yesterday. He could be done for the season. Buffalo Bills have signed defensive end Ryan Russell to a one-year contract. He was formerly with Tampa Bay. Gentlemen, back to you. It's Fox Sports Radio. Chris Mannix, Bucky Brooks coming to you live from the Geico Fox Sports Radio studio. It's easy to save 50% or more on car insurance on Geico. Go to geico.com or call 1-800-947-AUTO. The only hard part, figuring out which way is easier. So Bucky's a football guy. I'm a basketball guy. I've been watching baseball on a couple of these screens. And now is about the time, Bucky, that I get kind of interested 
in baseball. Like oh, a yeah, this, bit. this is my deal. August. This, like August, I, I, I'm cool. I wait, I wait until August. Yeah, August, it's like, all right, what do the standings look like? Yeah. And, um, you know, is my team any good? And maybe I'll start going to a couple of games. Yeah, that's, that's how you're money. supposed to do. That's baseball. Yeah, it's, it's just like, too long. Don't peak too soon. No, you know, you know what would, could get me more interested in baseball early on is if they weren't so damn buttoned up. If they weren't <laughs> so, you know, insistent on following this unwritten rule book that looks like the Encyclopedia Britannica. I mean, it's like... It, baseball has so many rules that sucks the fun out of games. We had this Atlanta guy that that was that was speaking earlier, uh, criticizing the Dodgers for coming out at batting practice for wearing T-shirts on, instead of like their full uniforms at batting practice, untelevised batting practice. They're wearing T-shirts. I had some people tweeting at me after we talked about that, saying they're wearing like a couple of them wearing like anti-cancer T-shirts. Like, that just takes it even more next level uh, with this stuff. And we've seen time and again guys getting drilled if they don't run around the base as fast as humanly possible. I mean, it's crazy how this happens. Why is baseball, which ha- which knows, like, the demographics are there. It knows what its demos are. Why do you think baseball is so insistent on, 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 on being like this? Whereas football, you get a first down, celebrate that. Touchdown dance. The NFL has welcomed them back in. In uh, in recent years, basketball, same thing. Carmelo Anthony whacks his head three times every time he makes a three pointer. Everybody in the NBA has got a dunk or a three point shot celebration. Yet baseball, on its biggest moment, home runs, biggest moment allows nothing. If you don't, if you don't run across the bases, you are going to get a ninety five mile per hour fastball somewhere on your body in your next at bat. It's too old school, and I love baseball. Grew up a baseball lover. I love it. I would like to see more celebrations. I would like to see a little more flamboyance. But there's some people that don't like that. Like some people that turns it off. Like, hey, act like you've been there before, this and that. But my contention was I've never been there before. I don't know. I've never hit this home run before. I want to celebrate. Like it should be a level of emotion. I like emotional players. I kind of like when the game is tinged with emotion. That's why I like playoff baseball, playoff basketball. That's when it really, really matters. It should be fun. The game should be fun. I told you. The World Baseball Classic, when everyone was playing for their respective yes. countries, all the celebrations and all the stuff that went along with that, to me, that was exciting baseball. I like that. Yeah, I'm with you. What was the guy's, Rob, what was the guy's name, the the, the, the A's player, Mark, uh, I'm blanking on his name there again, the guy that said that basically he's going to uh, continue to do, he's not sorry for uh, flipping his bat. Mark Canna. Mark Canna, yeah, like from the, the A's. Had an incident where he flipped his bat. The media goes to him. Was like, do you, do you feel bad about that? Are you? Yeah. It's like he he just like you know, you know, went over to the other dugout and took a took a leak in it. Like it was like, <laughs> I mean, it's just like, like he did something wrong there. Like exposed himself or something. Like you want to apologize? <laughs> hey, 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 Mark, Mark, do you, Mark, do you want to do you want to apologize for that for that bad flip? You did a bad flip there, Mark. Do you do you want to apologize? Do you want to like issue a public, you know, mea culpa on that one? No, you don't. You want to frigging go out there. And, and have some fun with the game. Everybody said this earlier in the show. Everybody should have a signature home run trot. Mine would be the Pedro Serrano from Major League. I'd, oh, I'd run around the bases. Big you know, cojones. Big cojones. I'd love to do that. Like, give, like have somebody do that. But everybody, let these guys be creative. You don't think that like Bryce Harper wants to be creative? You don't think Mike oh, Trout? Sure. Mike Trout, we're in L.A. If Mike Trout walked down the street, no what percentage? Him. I mean, like some would. Like, they're baseball fans. I'm not going to say nobody recognizes Mike Trout. But... A vast majority of people would continue powering to Starbucks. <laughs> like that's it. They would just keep going right past him. That's insane to me. Whereas, like, take the Clippers. 
Like Austin Rivers got traded, but Austin Rivers could walk down the street and half the town would recognize Austin Rivers. Austin Rivers. Like you know, just know these guys. Like base and and you know who really knows who Austin Rivers is? Uh, Doc. Chris, 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 Chris Paul and the yeah, Rockets. They know who he is. Chris Paul knows who he is. They know yeah. Chris Paul. Chris Paul's I think is still a little bit uh, pissed off that Austin Rivers was <laughs> traded, wasn't traded for Carmelo years ago. Like that still lingers right up here. Those guys never is that where that. is that where it steals from? Uh, I don't know if it's stem. No, Austin it's had some comments there. there. Austin said some stuff, but but there's the genesis of a lot of the problems in L.A. began when the Clippers didn't make a trade that would have involved Austin Rivers. Oh. That I, I think would have brought back Carmelo Anthony years when he was with the Knicks oh, at, wow. at, a, at a higher level. There, um, oh. I think that's a, that's a big part of it. So, uh, but but baseball players aren't aren't recognized here. I mean, and, and I wouldn't uh, look. I'll be honest. If you like you. Took me into like, I mean, Mike Trout's a big guy, but if I walked into like a gym and saw a bunch of guys as big as Mike Trout, I'm not sure I'd recognize Mike Trout. No. I'm in this business. I'm like, I'm watching baseball games. That, that's like baseball should use that as the biggest warning sign. I mean, how many baseball players are identifiable? Like David Ortiz was because he was kind of this big, big poppy, yeah, big poppy, and he was flamboyant, like that. personality, yeah. But like, how many, like, you know, is Bryce Harper recognizable necessarily? I mean, Aaron Judge is because he's like a basketball player size, but. How many other guys are like that? Baseball should use that as as a wake up call to me. Yeah, I mean, man, you want to market your stars. And what last week there was stories about Mike Trout not being marketable. Well, you got to let those guys have personality. You got to let their personality show. People tend to gravitate to those guys who are kind of like them. Yeah, um, man, I, I was in an event with Odell Beckham last summer, and to think about his flamboyance, but to watch kids around him was amazing. Mm-hmm. And part of that is because, look, they feel like they know him. His personality comes out when you watch him play. Baseball need to let their guys show them, show themselves. Kind of pull back the curtain a little bit. And let me tell you this much. One of the excuses that I hear about Mike Trout and why he's not a bigger star is, oh, he plays in Anaheim. He plays for the Angels. He's out there on the West Coast. The biggest star in basketball is named LeBron James, and he played in Cleveland. For the last four years. Before Kevin Durant went to Oakland, he was literally the most endorsed player in the game playing in Oklahoma City. Market is not that relevant anymore. Not with national TV mm-hmm. and not with the exposure these guys get digitally, how they get it from their uh, their, their their marketing uh, uh, partners. It's not about Anaheim. It's about baseball and its inability to accurately help or uh, effectively help out uh, Mike Trout. So what should baseball do? We'll take your phone calls about that. 877-996-6369. on Fox. If you could make one change to baseball to make it more fun, to take bring some of the life back in, to attract a younger demographic, what would you do? 877-996-6369. on Fox. We'll get to your phone calls next. It's Chris Maddox, Bucky Brooks here on Fox Sports Radio. Brought to you by Progressive Insurance, creators of the Name Your Price tool. Choose from a range of coverage options and pick the price that works for you. Visit Progressive.com today. Final segment, Chris Mannix, Bucky Brooks. Let's get to some of your phone calls here. See you guys lined up, talk about baseball, talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, Rob in Pittsburgh, you're up first. Hey, Rob. Thanks for having me on today. Sure. All right, so I got two points. I'll make it real quick. First, with baseball, you want to get youth interested in baseball again, you got to let players be players. you got to let them their personality come out. That's what's missing. You know, when you were talking about the home run celebration, yaya thing, are they exposing them? Whatever. One of the greatest ball hitters ever, Jim Tomei, 
had the best deal. He hit the ball. He knew it was a homer. He stood there for a second. He flipped the bat. Nobody ever beamed him with a ball for doing it. That was just Jim's thing. Everybody accepted that. That's the way he was. And it wasn't considered, you know, whatever you want to call it, bad juju or whatnot mm-hmm. by other players. When you played Jim, you knew when he got that batter's box, he was going to nail the hell out of it. And you had nothing to do but watch it. Second, Jimmy Garoppolo deal. With Jimmy, I think the timing couldn't have been better because Tom Brady's broadcasting that he wants to play forever and ever and ever. That's great. But if you're Jimmy Garoppolo and you know you're a good quarterback and you know you can start in this league and you know you can earn the money that starting quarterbacks get, why the hell would you want to sit up under you know, uh, anybody until they decide that they want to retire before you decide you know, and allow you to get what you're entitled to? So as far as Jimmy Garoppolo is concerned, I'm glad they traded him. It sucks for New England, and it sucks for Bill Belichick, I'm sure, in the long run. But as far as a person goes, an individual, Jimmy needed to go so he could start, get that money, get paid, and do what he's, you know, what he's been trying to do his whole life. You know, you grow up playing football. You don't grow up to be the backup. Yeah. You want to be the starter. Yeah, no, so, I, look, I, I, I agree with you. Thanks for the phone call, Rob. Um, the timing was right for Garoppolo. I think that he benefited greatly from sitting on the bench for those few years. I mean, it's not the end of the world. I mean, everybody talks about playing young guys quickly. Does everybody remember that Aaron Rodgers was behind Brett Favre for how many years out there in Green Bay? I know. It's, it's, it's the greatest developmental plan. Phillip Rivers behind yeah. Drew Brees. Like, when you do that, you give them an opportunity to really acclimate to the game. Uh, you get a chance to really assess where they are and how to build the team and the playbook around what they do really well. That's what the opportunity affords you when you sit behind a great player. Yeah, you don't have to go out there and get David Card either. <laughs> That's now a verb, I believe, in football parlance. Uh, Dan in Minnesota, you're up next. Hey, Dan. Hey, thanks for having me on. Sure. My plan for baseball to show some real personality would be get rid of the home run trot. If it's gone, it's gone. Let them do a celebration or something. It would be really cool if after a walkout home run, all the players rush the batter at the plate rather than waiting for him to do that slow trotter on the bases. All right, thanks for the phone call. That might be a little extreme. Like, don't actually run the bases, <laughs> but you know, just kind of jump up so, and down, have, so the, like, have the home plate <laughs> celebration, like a ball pit there, and just like everybody kind of jump around, like hey, a mosh pit, like, what, what? a mosh pit right on the plate. That's it. That, that, that would be interesting. That's it. That, that might that might um, piss them off a little more. I, I would think so. I don't. I don't. I don't think that's the that's the answer there. Uh, Ian in Minnesota, you're up next. Hey, Ian. Hey, thanks for taking my call. Sure. The problem with Major League Baseball is they quash any personality. Uh, and they try and promote guys with no personality like Mike Trout. He's about as vanilla as you get. You know, I'm you know, from Minnesota. There are big guys here like Torrey Hunter, you know, Denard Spad, to an extent. They could have been marketed the hell out of on a national level and people would have known who they are. They're magnetic. They have personality. I mean, Tory Hunter punched Michael Kadire in the face <laughs> in a game. And baseball does everything they can to quash that. You know, like previous coaches, they need to let players be players, and they need to encourage character. They just don't do that anymore. That's the problem with baseball. You know, in basketball, you have Tarantula. In football, you know, <clears throat> there's all sorts of personalities. In football and basketball, and even hockey, you just don't see that. That's the problem with baseball. Yeah, I mean, and and Ian, thanks for the phone call. I don't know that you have to be a magnetic personality to be a big star in your sport. I mean, I don't look at Russell Westbrook as being this, you know, uber-magnetic personality, incredible competitor, 
but not a magnetic personality. I think you just have to be great and be showcased properly. I just, I don't think baseball does that. I don't think they're, I mean, it's not me saying I don't think they're making the right steps. I don't think they're making any steps. I don't see anything they're doing to help grow the brand of a Mike Trout or Bryce Harper. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the thing. Like, a lot of times, like, fans, we all want to get closer to our players. And the way that you get closer to the players is to feel their authenticity. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is. If you're an emotional guy, let that emotion come out. If you're not, if you're kind of like a cerebral assassin, let that play out. But I think the thing that you would like to do is to feel like when I'm watching a game, this is exactly who this player is Mm -hmm. on and off the field. Yeah. I mean, look, 162 games in a season, you should be able to market these guys a lot better. Uh, Jay in Dallas, you're up next. AJ. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. Sure. Uh, I don't think marketing is an issue necessarily because let's say, for example, you you push Mike Trout, you market him, then then people are interested in Mike Trout. Baseball's got bigger problems to me. I I love baseball. That's what I grew up watching and loving growing up. I'd, I'd rather watch soccer now because it's a time issue. It's two hours. It's, it's action, and, and it has nothing to do with the score. People can say, oh, it's, it's 1-0 or 0-0 or whatever it is. That doesn't bother me either because I'm fine with a 1-0 baseball game as long as it doesn't take three and a half, four hours. They've got to institute a pitch clock. They've got to shorten the season. you got two, two months left in this season with, what, 20 teams that don't have a prayer of making the playoffs. Shorten the season expand the number of teams that make the playoffs that's probably a way you can offset some of the some of the lost money and revenue and things like that there's there's way too many smart people to not start doing something drastic to change it i know there's a lot of pushback against those kind of things because they're too drastic and you've got you know the stewards of the game and of course during the game all these unwritten rules and things and that's i get it but I can't tell you the last time I watched a baseball game start to finish, even playoffs. Yeah. It's, it's 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 way too much. Uh, th- thanks for the phone call, Jay. Shortening the season is not going to work because I mean, you know, and like they talk about in football time, somebody's got to give money back. Yep. Nobody actually wants to give money back. I'm with them on the pitch clock, though. I mean, how many times do we need to see guys like walk around the mound in between pitches? I mean, they're starting to institute that at a lower level. I think at Double A or Single A, one of those lower tier levels. I'd like to see that graduate. Uh, to the major league level. We'll see. We'll see about that. Bucky, it's been fun, man. It's been great. It's been a great, been great time. A lot of fun. Next time you're in Boston checking out colleges or something like that, doing your thing, it'll give me a look, look me up. We'll <laughs> sure. uh, we'll go to Patriots practice. You know, I'm sure we'll go yell at Tom Brady, things like that. <laughs> follow, follow Bucky on Twitter at Bucky Brooks. Check him out on the NFL network. Check me out at Yahoo Sports. Stick around for a lot more here on Fox Sports Radio. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80. Live March 20th from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. 
Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Anne Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. This is Tracy V. Wilson from Stuff You Missed in History Class. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a Corolla built just for you. Check out more national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places.